something you could look at if you'd like look at home builders and home builder related stocks to see historically how they perform going into the summer will it happen again this year i don't know but go look at it there's a hint for you that's just one you can find others in the summer if you get a run-up during the week you'll almost always see a sell-off on friday and it works the opposite way too so in the summer if you see a downdraft during the week you'll almost get a rebound on friday <clears throat> most people understand the market is more thinly traded during the summer there's smaller amounts of volume and so if the market's up for three or four days going into Friday, the professional traders are thinking they'd like to go home for the weekend as neutral in cash. So they sell off the winners, which causes the market to drop back down, either flat or down on Friday. <clears throat> when you get into very, very volatile times, the market will or can run up enough Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and then Friday is almost always a very, very volatile time going back down. When there's a lot of bad news out in the world, Iran, North Korea, Russia, all the geopolitical stuff acting up, you'll start seeing a lot of times that if the market has moved one direction or the other going into Friday, then you'll see the market being flat to the opposite direction on Friday. So if it's, if it's bad news going into Friday, it'll rise on Friday. If for some reason world peace breaks out, the market rises Monday through Thursday, Friday you'll see it pull back. It's interesting to see. You see it a lot during the summer. You say, well, why does that happen? I don't know. I think the reason is that anything can happen over the weekend, and the professional doesn't want to be exposed to geopolitical stuff that can happen over the weekend if the ugliness is there. So they prefer to trade Monday through Friday. Don't hold open positions over the weekend. And then once volume returns in the fall, people come off a of summer vacation. Then you don't see the market being as impacted by the lower volume moves. And then traders start holding their positions over the weekend again. You see it year after year after year. That's just part of listening to the news. You've I mean, I don't know if you would have figured it out on your own, but that right there is the worth, worth the price of fast track. To understand that, you'll see that. Also upcoming, we got October 1st. Be aware of the October 1st move. We talked about it earlier in the year. First trading day in October, which is what I mean by October 1st. So if the first falls on a Saturday or a Sunday, then it's going to be whatever the first trading day in October is. Historically, it's a volatile day. And historically, it goes in one direction, could be up or down. Historically, you don't see it up and down within the day. It seems to go in one direction or the other. Most of the time, it's up. Don't take my word for it, though. Go back and look at the last 2530, and you'll see what I'm talking about. You may notice this, too. If October 1st is a Friday, it could be more likely to go to the downside. Uh, what would that be? So 20, what do we got? 20th, 19th, 18th. Is this, let me check the calendar here. Is it a Friday this year? Look real quick. Oh, oops, that's September. 
nope, you're off the hook. Not relevant. But keep that in mind if it is on a Friday. Uh, let's see. But now, knowing that October 1st move, don't trade it blindly. You still got to see evidence in the indicators. It's still about making a brick. The current indicators agree with the history. You trade with confidence. Confidence doesn't mean you go mortgage the house. It doesn't mean you, um, you know, take a loan against your kids. If you got an expensive watch, it doesn't mean you run down to the pawn shop and get and raise some extra cash. You stay with your money management rules. Going forward, say it almost every month, don't miss, don't miss future trading opportunities around the Super 6, especially the 1st of October. In years going forward, be aware that there's a post-Labor Day pop. Typically what happens, you'll see the big money coming back to Wall Street after Labor Day. And as a result, there's typically a, a post-Labor Day pop. You don't try and trade the pop. Instead, you catch the pop, and there's a big difference. What you try to do is catch the pop by already being in a trade, typically from a bigger chart. You can get a pop in any stock that, that the big money decides to drop their money into. And you have to accept that some of your stocks are not going to pop. It doesn't mean you were wrong. It simply means that your stock didn't pop. You can't plan to catch the pop simply because you don't know what stocks will have money deposit into it. Because remember, what causes price to rise? It's buying pressure. And if you have large influx of money from managed money, whether it be pension fund, mutual fund, what have you, they'll get dropped into a few stocks and you'll see them pop. So what you do is you just trade intelligently around the front of that area. And count your blessings if your stock is one of those that pops. But you don't try and trade the pop. So from a market perspective, historically, the worst two months of the year are August and September. September is historically the worst month of the year in the stock market. Now, worst doesn't mean that the market goes down. Worst means that it grinds slowly up or down. And grinding makes it difficult to find the easy money trades in the market. Historically, it's up early in the month and grinds after about the 10th or so. Historically, when there's a big move, it's to the downside. And if easy money trades show up, they typically appear after the 10th and they're usually bearish. September is also warnings season. And as we've talked about before, warning season tends to be rear end loaded. In other words, more warnings announcements are made as you as we get closer to earnings season, which start in October. If you see more high-profile names warn as we go into October, you can surmise that even more warnings are going to be coming as we get deeper into earnings season and companies start warning in advance of making the earnings announcements. But remember, don't trade the history. We trade the indicators. Talked about the book before the market's in motion. That tells you or shows you the general moves of the market, but it doesn't show the magnitude of the moves. And so you only trade the history when your indicators are verifying it. As we move into September and October in the fall season, tech stocks are almost always some of the first stocks to move up during that season. Re retail stocks also move up. Brokers do well. 
in July is very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. But it's intriguing for a lot of people because they get caught up in the, oh my gosh, the money comes quick. But they forget that it goes away just as quick too. But in order to be able to understand how these charts interrelate and the relationship within them, you have to understand the weekly daily 233.55 relationship. And you have to have, if you don't have it already, you will quickly learn what it means to be in recognition of your emotions, to recognize them and to recognize your reaction to them. Because you're going to do some incredibly stupid, crazy shit when you're down on the really small stuff because of your emotions that you didn't notice maybe when you're up on the larger charts. Everything gets amplified. So if you're impulsive, it's going to show up like you are crazy impulsive when you're down on the five and the one. If you're scared, you're going to see crazy scared. If you're lacking in confidence, you'll be afraid of your own shadow down on the five and the one. If you're overconfident, you're going to go broke, but you'll see overconfidence multiplied on the five and the one. And so the nice thing about, and the, the mandatory thing about starting the bigger charts, you learn the charting relationships and you start to learn to recognize the voice in your head and how you react to it. Because now when you're down on the one and the five, you don't have time to think and you're truly in react mode. And if your actions aren't good, you're going to go broke. And it doesn't happen quick. It's a very fast path to bankruptcy. Buying and selling your positions. A lot of you still trade you like your little fish. What I mean by that is you're wasting your, you're uh, wasting your time trying to get filled somewhere in the bid-ask spread. So you might see that the, the bid is $5 and the ask is five and a quarter. And you're in there trying to buy it for five fifteen. dollars Come on. And I understand that it feels good to think you're getting one over on the market maker because you're able to get filled at five cents less than the stated bid or the ask. And if it works, it's usually because you have a really small number of contracts or it's because price jumped around a bit while your order was there and it moved enough to trigger a fill at your limit price. But I can tell you from firsthand experience, it usually doesn't work if you've got a larger number of contracts. So if your objective is to get the point of trading a larger number of contracts, why would you start a habit now that you're eventually going to have to break? Keep in mind what we're doing, we're looking as fast track, I'm telling you to do band to band moves. We're trying to capture the biggest chunk of that. And over time, you're going to mature into getting in near the very start of the trade. And then you'll learn to exit near the top of the trade or near the end of the trade, right? The top of the wick, tip of the wick, I should say. And you'll find that when you're buying at the very start of the trade, the market maker typically won't take your offer if you try and put the order in between the bid-ask spread or the bid-ask numbers. And there's going to come a time when your trade size is going to be sizable enough where now you become a big fish to the market maker. And I don't know the criteria as to what makes you a quote-unquote big fish. It depends on the stock. It seems to even depend on the time of year. 
either way, you got to understand eventually you're going to become the big fish to the market maker. So an example on this would be you place a limit order to buy 100 contracts at the ask. You might only get filled on 10. And then the market maker raises the price. If you look at your order page, you're going to see 10 filled and 90 still outstanding. And the ask is going to be above what your limit price is. Well, the market maker now knows that there's a big fish out there. And he moved the price higher to see if you're going to chase it to enter the trade. The way you discover you're a big fish, at least on that stock at that particular time, is when you put in a limit order and you only get filled on a partial order before the market maker moves price. Now, if price is running, nothing you can do. But if it's just sitting there and the, the price raises and you didn't get entirely filled, it's because you're the big fish. There is no uniformity of that number. Whether it's trade size or number of contracts, I don't know what that is. It seems to depend on the stock and again, time of year. But as long as you let the market maker control the game, he's gonna control the game. Market makers almost like the, the host or the hostess at a crowded restaurant. If you walk into a crowded popular restaurant and you don't have a reservation, then the only way you're gonna be able to get a table at a reasonable hour is you gotta tip the hostess, tip the maitre d'. And there may come a time when you have to pay to get into a trade. What I mean by that is you might have to put, put your limit order maybe a dime or so above the ask. You'd only do this if you're trading a big chart and are trading for dollars of movement. But you gotta understand, <clears throat> if you had to pay to get into the trade, then you'll likely also have to pay to exit the trade, which means when the time comes to sell, you're going to have to sell for a bit under the current bid. So don't get wrapped up in trying to save that last 10 or 15 cents when you exit. Your objective was to capture dollars of movement. If, if you know if you had a, a $3 move and you only got $2.85 or $2.75, who cares? You got a dime, 15, 20 cents less. That is not a problem. You still took them for $2 and whatever I said, 75 cents. Remember, 95% how to think. Your objective is to get out with dollars of movement. That's why we're doing this. Next thing to talk about is when you have a failed trade. This is not referring to a position or a trade where you broke the rules on purpose and it went against you. This is, uh, as an example, a biotech stock in your trading account. And clinical trial results come out and they're negative that type of event will likely wipe out 100% of your call trade. And you have to understand, you got to be trading an amount of money such that 100% loss will not have any possibility of affecting your ability to trade again. Not saying it doesn't hurt a little bit, but it does not upset your account balance, nor your confidence, you can jump right in and trade again. So you got to be ready to stomach 100% loss. If you cannot stomach 100% loss, then you need to lower your trade size because you've gotta be able to get right back up on that horse. I promise you, you do this long enough, every single person on this call is gonna have 100% loss in their trading career. Now, if you say, well, I, I got in at 10 and I got out at 30 cents, or you know, $10 got out at 30 cents. 
I only had a 97% loss. All right, nice. That to me is still 100% loss. Just so you understand, you're going to have many of them through your trading career. And it will not be because you did something wrong. Right? Exiting a failed trade, this section, it refers to a news event or something that you could not see coming. Now, it's fine to be pissed off about it, but it's not okay to have it impact you such that you can't get right back up on the horse and trade again. <clears throat> Good money management is critical. And when you exit the trade, you don't exit on emotion. You got to think about it in advance so that you do not exit on emotion. You got to learn to exit calmly in the middle of a storm. So as an example, let's see what I got here. You bought um, out of the money calls, bad news comes out, stock specific bad news. And you're saying, oh crap. Understand the job of the market maker is to literally make the market. So the first eh, ballpark 45 minutes of the day, it's an extended period. That's when the market maker is trying to find out where the real market is and where the foolish market is. So if you got an out of the money position and the stock moves huge against you, you got to get out. But you got to wait for some level of legitimate pricing. And you might get a little bit better pricing if you wait a few minutes. Don't bail at the instant the market opens. Right? Let it settle down a little bit. Not that you're trying to make money on it. Let it settle down. Okay, second example. You bought an in-the-money position that magically, suddenly, overnight, becomes an out-of-the-money position due to a gap. It's not going to recover. You're not going to get all your money back. As soon as you get real pricing and not the jumping around fool pricing, you got to get out. It is what it is. Third example, you bought an in-the-money position that gaps, but it still remains an in-the-money position. So maybe you bought something that was $40 in the money, but after it gapped down, now it's only $20 in the money. At that point, what you do is you're watching for a bounce. A bounce doesn't mean you're going to recover the entire loss, but you're going to get back a little bit of that $20 drop in the example I just gave. And that bounce allows you to get real pricing and to recoup some of the price drop. But you're not going to get it all back. It will not bounce that high. It's not a recovery, so don't even bother trying. Just don't be foolish by closing it first thing in the morning. Develop patience and you can re usually recoup some of it. The last example <clears throat> is you own stock and it gaps down on bad news. In this case, you treat it like an in-the-money option. When the stock bounces, you'll capture some of the bounce. So you'll watch for the bounce. And again, bounce just like in the other one. Bounce doesn't mean you'll recover the large loss. But you're going to recoup a little bit of that $20 drop that I spoke of in the example earlier. You're not going to get it all back. It's not going to bounce that high. And don't be foolish trying to wait around to get it. And don't be foolish by closing it first thing in the, mean, in the morning either. Develop patience, and you can usually recoup some of it. In essence, to net it all out, the house is on fire. Do not get emotional. You don't need to be the first fat rat to get out of the burning house. If you act calmly and intelligently, you can usually get a better price for your exit. But you must assess what's the intellectual level to exit.
You don't want to get out at the emotional level. And if you do it the same way over and over, that removes the emotional response. You got to remember, calm in the fight always wins. So in the bigger picture, you got to practice. If you think about it, where you are today as a result of what you did five years ago, and you're seeing the results of it now, where you're going to be five years from today is a result of what you're doing today. So you just got to, you need to continually practice and apply what's taught and learned. And you build confidence by what you know, and you build ability by doing, doing realistic practice by applying some pain. That's all it is. Anything you do that's not in the manual or not taught in class takes you off track. A couple of people ask questions of Chris, whatever they're adding. He said, well, we never talk about that. Don't add it. It's not worth it. Because when you add stuff, you erode your progress. And you're going to slow your ability and you're going to mess up your confidence. Okay. Next thing we're going to talk about is practicing the right edge. Talked about it before. Some of you take it serious. Some of you don't. If you haven't done this yet, you got to start now. It's going to help your trading. Um, those of you that haven't been doing it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's only one way to find out. What you're going to do, pull up a chart, a daily or a 233, close your eyes, and then on cue charts, press control left arrow 20, 30, 40, 50 times. Doesn't matter. And I don't know what the keystroke sequence is for think or swim, but you can figure that out. Basically, you're moving it back five, six, seven, eight years, whatever it might be. And now, just using that chart, start on the right edge. And your goal, or sorry, your task is to predict where price and the indicators will be in the next three to five candles. Now, think back. When you first started POWs, you simply picked direction. And as you get deeper into POWs, then you started picking or predicting where price would get to. Upper band, a moving average overhead, whatever it might have been. Now we're going to go one step further. You're predicting where price and indicators will be in three to five candles. And this is similar to doing the prediction work. You don't worry about being right or wrong. You just simply observe and you make a prediction. And you're only doing this with the ability to look at one chart. And so I get the pushback all the time. Well, but I would never trade just looking at one chart. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. But when you look at the bigger charts, you already know what direction it's going. And now you get down to the chart you're on saying, well, what's it doing? And you'll say, well, it'll probably go to here or here. That's what it's going to look like in the next three to five. This takes work, takes time. The work doesn't end. Over time, you will improve. And with effort, you will improve. But you got to put in the time. <clears throat> Fall season typically begins yeah, somewhere between latter part of September up until the latter part of October. And what you'll find is it's not necessarily that the market suddenly turns on a dime and goes into the fall winter season. You're going to see individual stocks will turn on and off from the summer season into the fall season, almost like a light switch. Typically, you'll see where the weekly will be at or close to a potential support resistance area with its indicators poised. Then you'll move down to the daily and you'll see the daily is at a point where the indicators are about to confirm. You move down to the 233 and you'll see the initial fall season move starting there. But all stocks don't get there at the same time. 
Some are going to still act like they're in the summer season. Typically, by the end of October is when you'll see them all be behaving as if they're in the fall season. <clears throat> but to repeat what we said earlier about the LTH, just because you're making an LTH purchase, that does not turn the switch to say, oh, we're now in the fall winter season. It doesn't work like that. Another nice thing about the fall season is related to your income account. And it happens often enough that it's worth mentioning and worth paying attention to. There are usually opportunities to buy stock in September or October and then just sit on it until sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And at that point, you look to sell a deep in the money January call. And what you're going to look at then is you look to sell a strike that is at or just below heavy support. So it could be the bottom band on the daily, could be a weekly, oh, sorry, a band on the daily, could be a weekly band, might be a moving average, might be heavy laminated support across multiple time frames. <clears throat> but that's the type of thing we're looking for. And then the third Friday in January will typically be after a January decline if we get one. And what that allows you to do then is the opportunity to possibly buy back those short calls and then use the stock for another month as you go from January into February, get that last little push. And if you do the income account that way, it gives you the chance to make a significant portion of your annual income account returns. Now, it's not necessarily the best way or the most profitable way to run an income account. But if you do that, it allows you to focus on the trading account during what is historically the sweet spot of the year. And then as we run from January through May, the market tends to get more choppy. Then you can pay more attention to the income account on a monthly basis. But from the end of October, sorry, end of August going into the fall season, don't look to trade lower than the 233 unless you want to be checking the charts every, you know, every hour, every 30 minutes, whatever, whatever time frame you're looking at. And to repeat what we said a couple hours ago, you should never feel in a rush to make a purchase in the LTH. If you do feel rushed or feel compelled to make that purchase, step away. Because at that point, you're emotionally involved. Historically, as well, go back and look at this, you'll see it. If there's a drop after the September 10th, we'll typically get a much better fall winter season. Some years you might see a sharp decline. If that happens, don't be afraid of it. Excuse me. And if we don't get the drop, then historically the, the fall season it generally won't move as well. And typically the rise mimics the drop. Meaning that if there's a sharp decline, you get a sharp rise. Picture that. Picture the letter V. They call it a V bottom. In contrast, if you get a slow recovery, then typically there will have been a slow decline. And you, they'll call that a rounded bottom. Picture a, uh, picture a cereal bowl <clears throat> as opposed to Kim Kardashian's ass. I'm not talking about that kind of rounded bottom, but more of a cereal bowl shape. That again was a bad attempt at humor, I apologize. Um, there'll be many years where August and September will look really ugly. And when that happens, that will often set up for a really nice fall winter season move. And so with, with you being aware of that, combined with what I'm teaching on what to watch for, 
you shouldn't be scared when everybody else is. Instead, you're poised to capture the opportunity. And what's nice is you're not just doing it for this year or next year, you're doing it for the rest of your life. And so it's worth spending the time to go back and study on this. So to repeat, what you're looking, generally what you'll see is the fall season trade will start with an entry on the 233. And these are stock specific, meaning it's not the whole market, but rather one stock at a time. And then during the fall season, the vast majority of your trade should be on the 233 and the daily. And 55 trades would typically be done either due to a scheduling issue or around the super six. Or if you missed the best trade and now you're trying to capture the rest of the trade, you're waiting for a pullback to a 55 bullish move, stock pulls back for a couple days, hits the lower band, spreads the lower band on the 55, comes back around, gives you the 3x there. But that's typically where you'll be seeing where you might do a 55 trade. The bulk of your stuff should be daily in 233. Another trade to watch for as you get into the fall season is the 15% call trade. So what you're looking on that, the setup for it, think of it as an LTH setup where you would be taking the first bite. But now rather than it being a long-term holding stock, you want it to be a stock that's on the watch list that's much more volatile, so a trading stock. But it's the same setup that we're looking for in a 15% call. And so if the market has a nice downturn at the end of the summer, then keep that 15% call trade in mind as a potential strategy. And when you do that, you don't need to ensure the 15% call through earnings, just let it ride. People say 15%, well, what does that mean? You're buying 15% out of the money. So if the stock's at $100, you'd buy a 115 call. I think somebody texted me that question. <clears throat> and then how much time you buy? Looking at the charts, you buy about three months beyond where you think the move will end. So if you're looking at the charts, if you think it would run till about the end of January, then you would look to buy April options. There's gonna be years also where, there are, where there's bad news that continually hits the news wires and it's gonna cause you to be scared. You gotta take advantage of the fall season. Despite any uh, uh, talking heads that are spreading fear around or even the voices in your head, they're telling you to be careful, watch out, you're afraid. What you're looking for, research stocks that move and those that beat earnings in the summer and forecast well for the next quarter. These stocks typically will be on the refreshed watch list or will have been a candidate on the refreshed watch list. And they tend to move extremely well for October, November. The watch list will get updated. Chris and I will go through it um, in, over Labor Day and we get it done by September 15th. You'll have it um, once it's done. No need to send me a note. <clears throat> um, if you've got friends that aren't in Fast Track and they want to get the new watch list, have them if they want it, just have them send me a note after September 16th. I don't want to, if somebody asks in advance, I just delete their message. I don't want a, a backlog of emails. I have to go back and do a cut and paste to it. It's not worth my time. Um, historically, the first se the first sector that seems to lead the fall season is tech and then retail and then biotech and broker dealers. <clears throat> if you go back and look at charts in past history, you'll see in many years that the high for the year takes place between August and December. 
don't believe me, go back and look and you'll see it. So if there's ever a time to get busy in the market, this is it. And this is where you've got to be ruthless in your preparation to win. This is not about being ruthless in the fight. It's about being ruthless in your prep. And it literally is just a work thing. There's nothing that's special. As you get into the end of the summer, you're going to start to hear the, the pundits saying that volume is returning to the market. And that typically happens after Labor Day. <clears throat> and what will happen is the fall season trades typically start showing up as the volume begins to increase as money is flowing back into the market and shifting around between assets. What you're doing is you're listening for stocks that meet or beat their summer earnings and raised guidance for the next quarter. And study those to see if there's an annual consistency of that move. And there might be a trade for that in front of this quarter's earnings. <clears throat> and then you're also going to watch to see if they guide well for the January and February earnings announcement because there might be a trade there as well. They said before, typically the fall season is not one that you slowly transition to. It flips on like a light switch. <clears throat> and it switches on one stock at a time. And so as you get near the end of the summer, you really have almost like two personalities where you'll see two personalities in stocks. One of them is still in summer mode and the other one might be more in fall mode. And most stocks seem to make that switch between late September and late October. If you, ex excuse me, if you expect that, you won't get frustrated. But don't wait until late October to go find them because you're going to see, you'll see you missed a whole bunch of them. <clears throat> In the fall season, you can do the normal, as I always tell you, you can buy a 70 Delta or you could, you could look to buy five months of time with one, sorry, you're always going to buy five months of time if you can afford it. You can stick with the 70 Delta. You could also, you're a little more advanced. You could buy one strike out of the money and let it ride. As opposed to in the summer where you buy five months of time, but you're buying in the money because you got to take quicker profits. <clears throat> if you're buying one strike out, you can stay in that trade for much longer. When it works, the returns are eye-popping. You have to understand the first move in the stock price is not going to move the option much at all. And so if you're watching your account balance, you're going to get frustrated. But we don't trade the account balance. We <clears throat> got to understand, though, a healthy market goes up and down. And you should be cautious when you see a market that just goes up continual up and up and up. It's not healthy. And it's very challenging to trade in that kind of environment. And the reason is when you don't have any kind of normal pullbacks along the way, eventually the market will do a pullback. And it'll be a scary pullback when that, full, when that pullback does finally happen. And you don't know when it can happen, which will give you cause for concern. But now, Fast Track 2, and I told you this, there's no reason to be scared. Because with your understanding, your preparation, and your awareness, there's zero reason to be scared. You just follow all the rules like you always do. You'll also notice in unhealthy markets when you'll see, if you're practicing the news, you'll be able to recognize news items that should have an impact on the market. 
And when those news items don't move the market, it can be the sign of an unhealthy market. Next thing to talk about, dog days of summer, DDOS. It's July, August, and into September, known as the dog days of summer. They can be hard to trade. Typically, August is the hardest. There typically is low volume. Stocks typically don't move that well. And you don't wanna have to try to figure out what stocks to trade during this time. That's what I was just saying about the coach with the basketball team. If you follow the process of managing your workspace throughout the year, you'll already know which ones are the stars, subs, and scrubs. And so when you get to the dog days, you already know which one or two in each sector are those you can put your money on. Typically during August, market doesn't move much in either direction. It's up a bit, it's down a bit, right? People are on vacation, volume tends to drop off. Don't complain, just be sure you're looking at the right stocks and trading the proper time frame, or take a vacation. If you're in sales, corporate sales, you already know that most people you try to contact are on vacation, right? During the dog days of summer, you should be expecting to only use the superstar stocks from each sector. And that's why you must know who currently is the best performer in each sector. And so between March and August, which is right where we're in now, you, do, you go through the ID process to find the fresh moving stocks. You're, you're evaluating the players for the replacement of the, of the dead wood. On volatile days, you can use the hot list feature. Um, use the point gainers on the up days. Look at the point losers on the down days. Don't look at the percentage of movement because that will pull in, let's say, a $10 stock that moves a dollar. That's a 10% move. I'm not interested in those. I want those that have the largest relic, or sorry, the largest actual gain. So an $8 move, a 10, a $12 move. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter if it's on a $200 stock or on a $40 stock, right? You can look at the list of top moving stocks on CNBC or Yahoo, go to Zaxx, doesn't matter. You can listen to Kramer for names. I don't care where you find the names. All you're doing is you're simply listening, listening for stocks that seem to be on the move. And what you do is you check that stock on a weekly chart. And you're looking for stocks whose typical weekly candle has got probably 6% at a minimum or more of movement from a high to low. So a $100 stock would have a high low range of about $6. And you keep a list of those names that might be of interest. Just keep a separate notebook, just jot them down as they pop up. And now as you get into late August, now you've created a list of names that move more than 6% on a typical week. And now what you do is you get into August as you start going through the efforts to, re, to uh, scrub the watch list, you check those names again, and now you wanna see how they move during the summer. And the assumption is that if they move well during the summer, then they're very likely to also move well during the rest of the year. And so, and you got to keep to the number of stocks on the watch list. Don't grow that number of lists. It's not going to make you a better trader. <clears throat> so if you're comfortable now with getting through your homework, getting through 70 names, that's cool. Not a problem. Stay at that number. If you're comfortable getting through the 120, that's fine. But so now as you go through that list of potential candidates, let's say that you find, I don't know, 20 new, excitingly moving candidates 
you don't suddenly just add all those names to the watch list and grow it from 120 to 140. If you're going to put 20 new names in there, you got to find 20 names that you're going to drop. Because if you don't do that, I promise you, your watch list will become unmanageable. <clears throat> and just because a stock gets removed from this year's list doesn't mean it's removed forever. It's just removed for the coming year. It may be back on there next year or the year after. So as an example, a number of years ago, there were probably, I don't know, 10, 12 solar names in the workspace. And then we went through a period of time where we had either just a couple or even none. And as the sector starts to start moving around again, that number could grow. Also be forewarned, as a result of doing this research, as you're doing this from March through August, it can be very, very tempting to add new names to the watch list mid-year. But strongly encourage you, restrain from adding names mid-year. Just be disciplined. Because if you start doing that, your watch list will grow, and you won't know where to draw the line and say, well, I'm only going to add this many or I'll drop this one. It's not the right way to do it. That's an emotional reaction. If the stocks are moving well, March through August, they're going to continue moving well in September. You can, you can add it to the list then. Right? I've done this, this process for probably close to 20 years now, and it works really well. Yes, there are periods of time where you have a sector maybe that starts moving well in you know, April, May, June, July, and I don't start trading until August or September. I don't care. And I've had students say, yeah, yeah, but you're missing trades. But you know, it's interesting. They tell me that when they're at work. I don't hear that from people that are at Freedom. Keep that in mind. So I know there's a few of you have been adding names to it. You're still at a job. Don't ever forget that. The method works. You just get to decide when you're going to start to follow it, when you drop the ego. You've got a path that's laid out for you. Don't fight the path, just walk the path. What we're doing on the watch list, you're getting rid of the deadwood by the end of August so that you're starting September with a team of stocks that move. That's what we're looking to do. And then starting about mid-December, now you start to begin the process of identifying which stocks are acting as stars and which ones act as subs and which ones are not acting at all. They're not moving at all. Those, tend, those get labeled as scrubs. When you think about a sports team, a basketball team, it's similar to, for example, at the college level. It's similar to a college basketball coach playing all the players during the preseason and maybe even early in the regular season. And the coach is evaluating which players are the stars and is doing that evaluation when there's no pressure to perform. And then by March, you should be done identifying the stocks and can categorize them star, sub, and scrubs. And you should know which stocks are in which category by March. And now what you do then is you rearrange the, rearrange the stocks within each sector in your workspace. And you arrange them, not alphabetically, but by stars, sub, and scrub. And then when you get to August, during the dog days of summer, we'll talk about that in a couple minutes, 
you will shouldn't be surprised to find your trades at the top of each sector because now as you get into the period of time where the market may tend to be the most uh, likely to just vibrate around, now you've identified which stocks are the ones that are most likely to move. They're at the top of your list. And also by March, you should have a good idea as to which stocks you'll use during the Super Six because they tend to be the most volatile. They're up at the top of the list. <clears throat> if the market has a big week or middle of the week up and the tone of the market is bearish, you'll typically see a sell-off on Friday. I'll repeat this one more time. If the market has a big week or middle of the week up and the tone of the market is bearish, you'll typically see a sell-off on Friday. Typically see this in the summer. You can look to buy calls on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and buy puts end of Thursday. And you sell your puts, close them out by the end of day Friday. Be in cash, be neutral for the weekend, then go into next week fresh. The opposite of this can often happen. Can often happen also, if the market has a big week or middle of the week down, and the tone of the market is bullish, you typically see a bullish day on Friday. And so during the dog days, you'll often see on Friday you see that it moves the opposite of recent action. So if it's gone down all week, it'll often move up on Friday. If it's gone up all week, it'll likely go down on Friday. Also, something to watch out for, there's a good possibility of some violent moves in the summer, especially at the end of July through August and into September. Why does this happen? I don't know. Um, I'm guessing it might have something to do with the big money guys being on vacation during that three-week period, you know, mid-late August through Labor Day. And it's almost as if they leave the junior guys in charge, but with very strict guidelines. But whatever the reason, don't be surprised if you see some violent moves around this time of year. <clears throat> Next thing to talk about. People ask me sometimes, hey, with the following tasks, you know, how do you prioritize your time from high priority to low priority for doing the fast track work and assignments? And so I listed out a prior a prior to prioritization, what would you call it, list, I guess, best way to do it, as to what you should put your priorities on and getting stuff done if you're running short of time. First thing is you go through the watch list and do the analysis. Every time frame, every stock. On big up days and big down days, you want to capture the stocks that had the largest moves. So you're adding those to potential candidates for our new watch list starting in September. And if you get a 2% news item, capture that and see the impact uh, that it does have on the market. Do your journaling, marketing, uh, sorry, marketing, market journal and personal journal. Do your prediction work. And then any class homework that's assigned that came out of that month's fast track session. Do not ignore the reading list. 
if you uh, if you've tried Andy Forsella's seventy five hard, I think his thing was, I think it's ten pages a night. I think is what he gave you um, as reading on personal development reading. And I'm saying do one twenty. Was it divide the number of pages by twenty? So one twentieth of the number of pages. That's probably most of the books are two hundred pages or less. That's probably ten pages. You'll be fine. So going through the reading list. And then take a look if you've got stock price historical movement. Talked about that in May and June. And then reviewing over and over the class notes. Read this month's class notes, read last month's, and read next month's. And then when we get into August, you're going to read the July ones, read the August, read the September. Keep reviewing them over and over and over. And implement your trading plan. If you're running into issues and you realize, oh, I need to add this suggestion, add this um, checklist item, refine your trading plan as you go. So I gave a couple of hints to it earlier when we talked about uh, the guy who runs the refinery up in the South Bay, right? They've got a checklist that they run through to be sure that everything is where it's supposed to be behaving properly as they kick up these very expensive and potentially very dangerous uh, chemical reactor refinery machine things. <laughs> Sound very technical and like a fool when I say it. But you want to do the same thing with yourself. You do a pulse check. Did you get enough sleep last night? Are you thinking clearly? Do you remember what it is you're supposed to be doing? You know, what does your ideal setup look like? And you run through that whole checklist. Are you hydrated? Right? What's going on in your head? There's all kinds of checklist items you can add to your trading plan. We're going to add, we'll run through a lot of those in the psych class. Go a little bit deeper dive on that. Bottom line to all of it is really all you got to do is just keep doing the work. So we're now one month into the summer season. And by now, you should have finalized or be really close to finalizing your list of long-term holdings so that now you're ready to go shopping if and when we have a sale in the summer. Talked about this before in that there isn't much of a catalyst after earnings that happen in April and May. And so you expect a lower trading volume as we go into the summer. If it hasn't happened already, Bob Pisani on CNBC will come on at one point and say, folks, the volume is down. There's no volume. He says it every year like it's a big deal. He's been saying it that He's been saying that over and over and over for decades. <clears throat> You're going to see rhythmic moves in the market. They tend to be shorter in duration. Now, there's always exceptions, but go back in history and you'll see that. <clears throat> if you go back over the last 23 years, looking at the S&P in June, you'll see there it's either it's been a doji or a red candle month. Exception of that is 2012. Also, there can be a, for lack of a better word, a back-to-school retail trade. And usually, it, it can start as early as the latter part of June. It ends by early September. Typically, the, the move shows up in July or August. <clears throat> and so you want to watch for situations where you may have retailers lining up with that mid-July historical rally. Then we talk about failures and gaps. So if you've seen, even studying the charts, you know stocks will often gap in one direction. And then it continues along in that direction. 
And then after some period of time, it may reverse direction to go back down and try and fill the gap. After filling the gap, if the, if the stock doesn't support or resist at that point prior to the gap, it's known as a gap failure. When there's a gap failure, the next potential support or resistance area is what we're going to talk about next. <clears throat> so in a gap up scenario, I'll give you an example here. Stocks at 50, it gaps up to 54. And so with that, then you would draw a pink line at the pre-gap number, the post-gap, and the midpoint, right? So 50, 54, and 52 in this example. And these are possible support lines. You draw them as pink lines. Now let's say the stock continues and it rises up to 55. And then it comes down and it fills the gap. And so it drops down to 54. Then it clears 52 going down. And now it clears 50 to the downside. So stock price is now under 50. That's a gap failure. It's not a failed gap until it closes below 50. But now here's where it gets kind of fun. You do your predicting prediction stuff. You may not want to trade this, but you predict where it's going to go. The question is, how far might it continue to go? The next potential support or resistance area, to calculate it, you take the difference between the high after the gap, so it's 55, and the price before the gap is 50, and you subtract that from the price before the gap. So 55 minus 50 is 5. Take that from the pre-gap price of 50. It'll probably drop down to 45. You go back and look at it. It's like, oh, man, that's pretty interesting. It's not 100%. I'm not going to do a trade there because most of the time you don't get a setup with the indicators. But it's kind of cool to be able to do a little prediction thing. You know, make a lunch bet or a beer bet with one of your coworkers, one of your Zoom call mates. Hey, next time I see you in the office, because now we have to go in two days a week, keep an eye on ABC stock. It's going to go to this point. And if it does, you buy me lunch. What you can do, though, is you can set an alert on the charts to warn you of a gap failure. Don't set a ton of them, because you don't want a whole bunch of them going off at the same time if you get a big down day. This is about stock selection. You want to know, is the stock volatile enough to hit the bottom? and maybe give you a bounce for a trade. So only set a few alerts. So it's a neat little thing that shows up every now and then. And you have to be patient. Once you can afford to, you got to buy plenty of time. Always buy five months or more of time. You can buy more time, don't buy less. When you're buying options, you're buying time to allow you to be patient. Now, typically when you're on the bigger charts, you should be initially patient, but do not become permanently patient because that's known as hopium, right? You don't have to necessarily get out if it doesn't move the next day, but you learn to develop the patience. If it's not moving within you know, ballpark three candles, reassess. And if the trade isn't moving at that time or after about five days, yeah, maybe you look to get out because if you, you've studied this enough, you know when you see the proper three X and it's moving as expected, they pop. If you see a good-looking 3X and you jump in, it goes sideways. You know, depending what the overall market conditions are, it's okay to be to close it. You can always go find the next victim. You don't need to be impatient the minute you enter the trade. Give it a few candles before you become impatient. But keep in mind, if you have stock, 
there is no pressure of time decay. But that doesn't mean you get to sit and watch it decline. You still do the same thing, but that pressure of time decay is not there when you're buying stock. If the market's down today, but the indicators are still good, just be patient. You know, how many trades have you seen where every candle goes in your direction? The trades don't move like that because every candle will not move in your direction. They'll move, then they'll stall or pull back and then move some more. And the secret is you watch the indicator. From the 1st of November to the 1st of July, so you got about six more days, you are to be in cash accumulation mode, period. No ifs, no ands, no buts. And then every year on the 1st of November, you set a goal for yourself to have a certain amount of money in the cash balance of your LTH account by the 1st of July. And your motivation each year during the year, excuse me, is to reach your goal of cash in the LTH. And that cash is how much you'll have available to make LTH purchases without taking tax. You got to consider taxes in there as well. So factor in that. <clears throat> but that's the amount of money that you have available to make LTH purchases. <clears throat> and now on or about 1st of July, you make note of how much cash you have in the LTH account. Remember, you got to pull, you got to take money aside for taxes. So, well, what percentage should I do? I just use 50%. And I do that because the max tax rate for the Fed is 37. I live in California. If you're a high income person in California, we pay 13 on the margin. So 50% tax rate. If your income is more moderate, right? You're not at the upper range of the, um, of the brackets. You can guesstimate ballpark 25% for the Fed. And then depending what state you live in, if you're in California, it's about nine. Other states, you have to do your homework and see what that is. But add those two numbers together, eh, somewhere between a third and a half, put it off to the side for taxes. And now you've got it allocated. Just don't, don't touch the money. Just, it'll be waiting for you to make the payment in April or if you make quarterlies going along. <clears throat> so now once you have that net amount identified in your LTH, you take that net amount. So let's say you net it out um, hundred, let's say $12,000, making a low number, uh, sorry, easily divided, easily divisible, easy number. So you have $12,000 that you've moved into the LTH and that's gonna come in from excess numbers from your trading account over and above what, and we talked about that in class two excess dollars over and above your monthly expectation or requirement in the income account, as well as any puts that you bought and then sold for a profit because of stock declines and or covered call opportunities and or dividends. You add all that up and it was much greater than $12,000, but you pulled out a chunk, allocated towards tax and boom, there's your $12,000 number. You take that 12 grand number divided by the number of stocks that are on your LTH list. Not that are set up for buys, but how many stocks are on the LTH list? You got 12 names, so 12 grand divided by 12,000 bucks each. Write that number down, not the thousand, but whatever your number is, because that's the amount of money you're gonna use to buy shares in each LTH stock if it gives you a setup during the buying window of July through end of October. So 
as an example, you got 12K sitting in cash. By July 1st, you got 12 stocks. Again, $1,000 each. It's very, very rare that you're going to buy an LTH stock on the 1st of July. And rarely will you buy them all at the same time, right? Stocks move around. So what you do then, <clears throat> let's say between, and remember we had the mantra before, when do we buy our LTH stocks? Rarely in July, sometimes in August, usually September, always by the end of October. Rarely July, sometimes August, usually September, always by the end of October. So you got that four month window. Let's say with your 12 grand that three companies on your LTH list have given you a setup. We'll talk about setups in a little bit. So maybe you had ABC stock that gave you a setup on 1st of August. Terrific, you buy a thousand shares. Now you've got 11 grand left in your LTH cash account. Oh, and there's another setup that shows up on XYZ stock. Maybe that shows up latter part of August. Boom, you make a second purchase. So now you've bought a thousand on the first one, a thousand on the second one. And then you've got uh, element of P PQR is the third stock. And that shows up in uh, latter part of September. So you put a thousand dollars there. And now nothing else sets up between then and the end of October. So we've spent three of our 12, and now we get to the latter part of October, we've got nine still on the table, or nine still available. We get to the end of October, we take the remaining dollars we have available, which is 9,000, divided by the number of companies we've made purchase in this year, which was three. So 9,000 divided by three is 3,000. I'm gonna take that remaining nine grand, split it up three ways, and around the end of October, I'm going to buy three grand in each one of those companies. Now, I, if you want to be precise and do it off of 55, that's fine. Um, or just make the purchase, right? And Murphy's Law is going to show up. As soon as you buy, it's going to drop a little bit. We're owning this forever. It doesn't matter, right? I'm not worried about it. But so I'm taking two bites of the stock, right? I buy one based on chart if and when I get a setup between the July through October window. And then I take a second bite of the ones that I've purchased by the end of October as I split up the remaining cash in the LTH cash balance. That's all you do, it's discipline, you just buy. Next thing to talk about is the nightly homework process or the nightly analysis process. Some of you are still taking way too many hours doing this. You should be able to complete your nightly chart review in the range of an hour, hour and a half. And when you do that, focus all your, all, all, all your attention to the task at hand when you're reviewing charts. Don't let, yourself get, don't let yourself get distracted. So that means turn off the TV, turn off the music, put the kids to bed. And then you, you, you're going to find as you get into this, Spending 60 to 90 minutes isn't, when I say isn't enough, you can do your nightly homework. There's additional chart study that you're going to want to do. And so you can add more time on a, on a daily basis, on a regular basis, on the weekends, whatever you can fit in. But doing the nightly analysis, you should be able to get done with an hour, within an hour to an hour and a half.
Now, there's going to be times <clears throat> where you'll notice a chart pattern or something that's eye-catching or something that you heard Wen talk about today or that you've heard Lamb talk about in the past. It's not necessarily a trade or it's not necessarily something you understand, but you're starting to see the chart tendencies on something you hadn't noticed before. And then what you do is you go back and you study that to see if you're seeing something. <clears throat> what most people do is they go down that rabbit hole of research in the midst of doing their nightly analysis and they, they never complete their nightly homework steps. So go through the homework first. And as you see something that looks interesting or eye-catching, make note of it and then come back to it. <clears throat> An easy way to do this, go buy a spiral, you know, spiral-bound notebook and put it, you know, in big black bold letters on there, entitle it, you know, research or, or questions, something like that. And whenever you find yourself wanting to go research something, just jot it down in that notebook and keep making notes on it that way. And then when you've got some time, flip through those research topics or questions that you come up with and choose one of them that looks that choose one of them to pursue that is in that notebook that looks interesting or sounds interesting. And if you do it that way, it will save you hours and hours and hours of chart chasing. As you're doing your nightly analysis, if a chart doesn't jump out at you, consider moving on to the next one. You are looking for the setups that make you sit up. Because what happens is if you stare at an unattractive chart for too long, it will cause, if lack of a better word, causes delirium. But really what it does is you'll talk yourself into saying that this is attractive. You'll talk yourself into something that really isn't there. <clears throat> when you come across a chart that looks promising and, says, and you may think, oh, I want to research this one further, don't do the research right then. Write the ticker down, move on to the next one, get through the entire watch list. And once you've then gone through the entire watch list, then you go back and you study or you research the ones that caught your eye. And that's how you can be sure and get through the watch list within an hour, an hour and a half. And then you do a deeper dive on the ones that come up on your short list. Some of those, as you do a deeper dive, you're going to drop them off the, off the candidate list. There's you know, not enough reasons for or too many reasons against doing the trade. But that's the idea behind it. Because what you want to find, what you want to be aware of is if you spend too much time doing the nightly homework, you're not getting it done within an hour, hour and a half, you're going to burn out before you get good at it. And you get burned out because you're going down the rabbit hole of research and you find you're taking a lot of false starts. And people get on me every once in a while saying, you know, there's no way I can get good at this doing hour and hour and a half of, my, of work every night. That isn't what I said. Your homework takes you hour, hour and a half. It's going through the watch list. And then to improve, the additional study is hours over and above that. And then during the, mar during the market day, how often do you look at charts? Unless you're down watching the one minute or the five minute, candle by candle by candle, you may all, ignoring that example, you, if you look at the market for 30 minutes in a day, that's a lot. And again, if you're down on the one minute, you're staring at it a lot more frequently. But if you're using a 233, now you check it, you know, LA time, 1023 in the morning, 1025 in the morning. And then again, a few minutes before the close. If you've got a setup on a 55 or a potential setup that you saw last night doing the analysis, and you say to yourself, this one could set up or could signal tomorrow, 
you check it after the first hour. So LA time, you're checking it at 7.25. If it's not set up, you check it again at 8.20, 9.15, 10.10, 11.05, noon. <clears throat> so it doesn't require all-out study each time. You're doing a quick glance to see if it's giving you a possible setup. That's all we're looking to do. Uh, like you said, you know, it has to do with prediction, Condi. So you know that, you know, when you get more experience on charting, let's say, for example, you're trying to do a uh, one-minute trade <clears throat> to the upside. So again, I'm, I'm going to speak in general term, okay? So you know that most of the time, you need the five-minute stoke to be below 20 type of thing, yeah? So if you see five-minute stoke, let's say that it's above 80, and then, you know, if you, you know, stays long enough, you know that it typically, on average, takes about eight to 10 candles for that five-minute stoke well, it doesn't matter what time frame, right? Usually it's about, on average, right? A, a normal move is about eight to 10 candles kind of thing for the five minute stoke or 230 stoke. It doesn't matter what chart to go from um, 80 to 20. So then I know, okay, let's say it's 10 candles. No, that's an hour. I don't want to sit there for an hour trying to, to you know, stare at it for that, you know, uh, <laughs> reset, right? Before, uh, you know, it, it's more favorable condition. For me to take that one minute trade upside so a lot of time in the hour you know i'll, I'll go i'll take mochi we'll walk and go hang out i'll go downstairs you know i'll call hansen which is chit chat you know because i know there's nothing going to be interesting for an hour right so so with experience uh you know when you understand certain conditions um you know you, you need certain conditions on, on indicators for you to get higher batting average on a specific entry chart okay then then you know there's something like as an example that can help you you don't need to sit there for an hour watching that five minutes still reset from 80 20. <clears throat> and you know, on cool. the other side of that, the the mental endurance that can be trained. When I started watching the one minute, even my buddies and thing, you know, five minute, by the end of the day, I'm like, man, I am pooped. <laughs> right? Like I'm just, you know, I'm not physically tired, but mentally I'm just tired. I, you know, you do that for three, four, five years, kind of like, oh, this is normal. Right? So just like physical endurance, mental endurance can be trained. And, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll close with thought, okay? I, I don't want you guys to think that you have to stare at, and I emphasize a few times on the coaching call, okay? You do not need to trade the intraday charts to do well. Um, if you never, you know, go below 55 or 233, you can do phenomenally well in this endeavor. Okay, you got your foundational setup, you know, there's enough before you trade. So, you know, and then we, we talk more about this specifically in the training psychology class. You got to match your personal training style, um, you know, to your personality. Some people, right, what the, the personalities are, it's just that, you know, it's painful for them to, to, to sit there and, you know, and watch today. They much more enjoy the, um, you know, bigger chart, uh, more the Gurian type of trade, right, longer time frame. Um, so that's okay. They, they can do very well. Some people, you know, they don't mind doing the scalping intraday. That's okay. But it is absolutely not a requirement for you to, you know, um, stare intraday chart in order to do well. It is a phenomenal practice, you know, in the sense of um, it gives you real-time feedback pretty quickly. Okay. And assuming, Connie, it sounds like there's something you like with experience. One, you can build a mental endurance. And two, you understand that, you know, <laughs> Unless certain conditions are met on the chart, you don't need to sit there and watch it. Hopefully that helps. Okay. And the charts don't lie. 
And once you understand how to read the charts, and then you couple that with having your uh, your your psychology, your mindset in the right place, then it's just a matter of executing. Um, <clears throat> as we go into the summer, be prepared. A lot of your you'll see a lot more trades showing up on the 55, and people misinterpret what I say or misinterpret that as I say it. There are no more 55 trades now than there were when you go into the fall winter season. It's just that now there are fewer good looking trades showing up on the bigger charts. And so more of your trades are likely to show up on the 55. But the quantity and availability of 55 trades is pretty much the same throughout the year. It's just that there are fewer trades on the bigger charts as we get into the summer season. And so having said that, you read the charts, when they indicate that we're going down, you trade down. When the charts indicate that we're going up, then you trade up. And don't forget the weekly. The weekly is what keeps you out of trouble. Also go back, read the historical monthly guide. It says in there to expect heavy profit taking the last half of May. Now, profit-taking, your initial reaction would be, oh, that means it's going to drop. Remember, profit-taking, true definition of that, it moves in the opposite direction of what its most recent move has been. People are taking profits off the recent move. So if the recent move has been up, profit-taking will be, it sees, it sees it as a decline. If the market has been moving down, profit-taking would be a retrace where it climbs back up. Okay? So all you got to do, you're trading the indicators. As you go forward, moving into the summer, as I just said, right, you're checking the market calendar. You're reviewing your monthly charts, at least at the beginning of every trading season. There are not that many catalysts once we wrap up earnings in April and going into May. <clears throat> Typically, you'll see the market will react by driving towards something could be down a certain percentage could be up a certain percentage could be a spot on the chart you know usually ending in a zero so it, you know the s p 420 or 4200 the dow whatever the value it is things like that in the summer you've heard me say it many times in the pals class the trading volume is lower over the next couple of months you're in fact next couple of weeks you're going to hear it a lot more and then you'll hear it throughout the summer, and that's Bob Pisani coming on the on CNBC early in the morning. He's going to say, well, folks, you know, there's not much volume these days. And he says it every single year right around this time. Should not be a surprise. To avoid the surprises, keep your eye on the historical monthly guide. As we move out of the transitional season, and into the summer trading season, you should expect a shorter holding time frame on your trades, and it gets shorter and shorter as we get deeper and deeper into the summer. So at the beginning of the summer, you might see trades lasting, I don't know, three, four, five days, if that long. As you get deeper into the summer, moves will go down to about two or three days. And then a lot of times you'll see it go sideways. And then it'll move for another couple of days and then go sideways. And it just kind of stair steps. In the summer, 
when you see that happening, the charts may not strongly indicate there's an exit. You're trading options, you're gonna wanna exit anyway. You're gonna find situations where you don't have the five reasons to exit. We talked about it in an earlier fast track session, I think it was in March, when you're out of profit, but you learn to, to just exit the trade anyway. So in the summer, a lot of your exits end up being just because. And it's because the market tends to vibrate around. It's not a chart thing, it's an art thing. And you'll learn to develop a feel for it. Because remember, when we're trading, it's always about the chunk in the middle. And as you're in the summer, because we tend to vibrate around, we may get some volatility here with this debt ceiling going on between now and 1st of June. But you're going to see that the market will just vibrate around. Also, during the summer, you cannot beat yourself up. You can't kick yourself. When the, stop keep, when the stock keeps moving after you get out. And the reason you can't kick yourself is that it could just as easily have gone the other way if you'd stayed in. So you learn to read the charts, take the chunk out of the middle. Typically in the summer, the market goes down initially and then it'll move up and down and up and down almost in, in a rhythmic fashion. And now what gets frustrating or challenging or annoying is the exact same chart setup that you see in the summer where you're learning to get out in a, in a rhythmic um, approach. Now, as you transition in the fall winter season, we get into September, October, you're gonna find that same looking chart setup will end up lasting longer. And it'll frustrate you the first couple of times it happens. When you do this enough, you'll get to the point where you can expect it and you can see it coming. And you'll be able to see exactly when the summer season ends, if you do enough work and do this over enough years. And it, I don't know how best to describe it other than you start to recognize it almost subconsciously. Keep in mind, we talked about this before, the continuation indicator on the charts of the four indicators is MACD but you don't just rely on MACD. If that were the case, I'd get rid of all the others. We'd just trade MACD. It doesn't work that way. You've got to apply all that you know around how the end of their indicators move, how they interrelate with each other, and how they interrelate with the bigger timeframes. Next thing to talk about is trading around Fed minutes. Typically, there's movement immediately following announcements by the Federal Reserve. Every once in a while, there's some students that will try and trade around the Fed. They're trying to capture the movement. <clears throat> and you've learned that just because the market moves a lot during amateur hour, it does not mean that you must trade there. And similarly, just because price is volatile right after the Fed announcements, FOMC announcement, does not mean that you trade. You can still trade ahead of the Fed meetings only if a trade exists. It's no different than seeing an earnings trade that's setting up two or three days ahead of time. But you got to be aware. The market maker definitely inflates the options in front of the release of FOMC minutes, just like he does or she does or the machine does in front of every other known market moving event. And always remember, you got to get out before the announcement because you don't know what's going to be announced and you don't know how the market's going to react 
because you don't know what they're going to say in the small the small print not just that they raised or lowered interest rates but also what they expect to do in the future it is not worth trying to capture that some of you will say well what if i bought a call and a put or what if i sold the call and a put so you know if it doesn't move one way i'll capture the other one try it on. don't do it it isn't worth your time but if you're going to do it do it on paper and then you'll see and go, oh, that's why he said not to do it. You might make money on one, you're going to make money on one side of it, maybe, but it may not be enough to offset the inflated premium you had to pay for the position that's winning. And you also have to make up for the inflated premium on the position that's losing. It's not worth your time. But if you don't want to believe me and you got to learn the lesson on your own the hard way, do it on paper. Do it over probably three or four announcements, and then you'll see. You go, ah, that Hanson, not only is he good looking, he's actually. We talked about this before. Let me hit it a little harder here. I put it in writing. We've mentioned it earlier. There's a relationship between the Dow and the banking index. You always want to take a look at the weekly and daily banking index, dollar BKX. When the market moves in a certain direction, you want to see the banking index move at the same time in that direction. There's going to be times when the Dow has been coming down and it continues to go down. Meanwhile, the banking index has stopped going down. And this is often where the public will regurgitate, throw up their stock, they vomit it up. In the late summer, if you see the Dow heading lower, and the banking index stops going lower, it's pretty likely that that down move on the Dow is soon to be over. And if you have this knowledge, it gives you an edge. You wanna make sure you understand that relationship going forward. Now, don't come on and ask me and say, well, what if one's doing this and what if one's doing that? Go back and look at the charts and find examples of it. It has happened in the past, you can find it. It's right there for the taking if you'll spend the time and study it. Probably study it for about an hour, maybe spend over three days, spend 30 minutes looking at it. Give you an hour and a half, two hours, you'll see it. And if you don't see it, don't worry about it. Go back and look at it later. Give it six months a year. Go back and look at it later. It be, once you know what to look for, it becomes. All right, next thing to talk about, the types of trades or tiers of trades. So there's a first tier trade, and those are trades that are set up to move in the same direction as the market and the sector on the same charting time frame. So you see a, a daily setup, bullish, and you then look at the market and the sector, you go, oh, look at that. Maybe it's an oil trade. And like, oh my gosh, the oil sector is doing the same thing. And the market's heading north. Perfect. And going in the direction of the bigger time frames. Second tier of trades is you have an individual stock has its own catalyst. Maybe it's earnings or splits coming up. And it's volatile, volatile enough that it, can be re, that it can be traded regardless of what the sector is doing. And you'll find that it's easiest if you'll do this when it's moving with the market. You, you don't want to fight the market on these. These are the only trades you're supposed to take. Life or death obvious at the rate of about five to 10 a month. If you only can see the daily chart, daily 233, some months you're not gonna get five. 
accept it. Don't get excited about the money you made. And you don't get excited about the percentage gains that you make. Why is that? Well, you got to understand, you got nothing to do with your trade result beyond the prep that you had to do that happened prior to you pressing the enter key to get in the trade. <clears throat> Think about that. Let me say it again so it sinks in. Once you've done the prep work prior to pressing the enter key, you have nothing to do with your trade result. The reason is that once you hit enter, you can't control what's going to happen. But you do have control over the size of the loss. And that means that you are absolutely allowed to brag about the size of the loss. Because it's the size of the loss that you're looking to control. I've told you all along, all your trades will not work. You want to get out with the loss as quickly as possible. The size of the loss matters. Size of the gain doesn't matter. So if you think about it, you could have a 90% pl plus win rate. But if you don't control the size of your loss and you have a poor money management strategy, your account could go to zero, even winning 9 out of 10. On the other hand, if you're just slightly over 50% as a win rate, which ain't that good, <clears throat> and if your losses are kept small, then over the long term, you're going to make good money. Until you control the size of the loss, you're not going to be successful. Next slide is, how do you trade? If somebody comes up and asks you, hey, how do you trade? You might answer it like what I'm about to say, and I want you to write this down. I purposely didn't fill it in for you. I want you to write it down so that you understand it. And you ought, if you, if I had you, I suppose this should be one of those in the future. Maybe what I do is I put the answer here and I tell you to fill in it, fill it in yourself and then go back and compare it to what I wrote. I might do that in the next class if I remember to do that update. But the way I answer the question is when I see a trade setup on a chart in front of a known catalyst, when I see a trade setup on a chart in front of a known catalyst, and I get an entry on this chart, I enter the trade. And I bring all that I know to the trade, which includes, so I bring all that I know to the trade, which includes the time of year, what all the charts are doing. So the time of year, <clears throat> what all the charts are doing, the historical monthly guide, any, any potential support or resistance lines that are on this chart, all the indicators from the trade chart and the next two bigger time frames. <clears throat> when I see a trade set up on a chart in front of a known catalyst, and I get an entry on this chart, I enter that trade. And I bring all that I know to the trade, which includes the time of year, what all the charts are doing, the historical monthly guide, any potential support and resistance lines that are on this chart, and then all of the indicators from the trade chart 
as well as the next two bigger time frames. Ideally, I look to trade this chart band to band. I evaluate it using the trade chart indicators, the indicators on the trade chart, and all the indicators on the next two bigger charts. I evaluate it using the indicators on the trade chart and all the indicators on the next two bigger charts. My evaluation is one candle at a time, but only after the candle has closed. I evaluate it one candle at a time, but only after the candle is closed. I'm aware of ATCAT. However, I trade this one currently. In other words, I'm focused on the trade chart. With discipline, patience, <coughs> pardon me, with discipline, patience, and a confident mindset, I follow the rules exactly. And that's how I trade. Next page, things to consider for your trade. Um, here's a list. Of, it's really just a list of things you're supposed to consider for each trade. You know, first, you got to have stocks that move. We're not trying to, to resuscitate the dead. You want to be able to answer why this stock and why this stock now. You want to know when the, the next earnings release is? We look at all the charts in the correct order, big to small. Weekly, daily, 233.55. You have to be aware of the expected normal trade duration for each chart time frame. We covered that earlier this year. You want to be aware of the, where there are any potential support resistance lines. Purple line, pink line, etc. You want to be aware of where the Bollinger Bands are because these are potential support resistance areas, as are the moving averages, the 21, which is the mid-band, the 50, and the 200. You want to be aware of the potential distance to the next support resistance area. It doesn't mean it'll get there, but you want to know the potential. You want to be paying attention to the size of the candle bodies. If the candles are getting smaller, that may be an indication that it's running out of gas. Need to be aware of the, the history that we see in the markets in motion. The tendencies that are apparent in the years that end in. If there's tendencies for the trading season, as well as what the historical monthly guide is telling you. If you have a catalyst, what is it? Is it split, super six, earnings? What is it? You want to be aware of what the indices are doing and, what, and to know where, which stock, sorry, to know which index your stock tends to move with. Does it move with the Dow? Does it move with the NASDAQ? Does it move with the S&P? And then it's good to know what the sector chart is for that particular stock. Which end, and which index does that stock move with? Sometimes they can move um, with a different index than what their, what their index categorization might be. Be aware of what the futures are doing. Be aware of any stock-specific good or bad news. 
be aware of any sector-specific good or bad news. Because if it's sector-specific, sector it tends to have a more long, a longer-lasting effect. And then we're aware of the indicators all the time. Right, starting from the top, you got the price area, the two and the three moving average. Then just going from top to bottom, you got Stoke, MACD, and the directionals. Be aware of the 20, 80, and 50 lines on Stoke. Be aware if you see bullish or, uh, bullish or bearish divergence. Be aware if there's a tweezer top or bottom. Yeah, we don't talk about these as much. They show up sometimes with a double top or double bottom. <clears throat> You'll see the formation on it will end up looking a little bit like an M for a double top or a W for a double bottom. And then the always fun Super 6, the last three in the first three trading days of a month. And then you've got uh, important dates that generally have movement. So the first trading day in January, first trading day in March, first trading day in October. Be aware of any gap lines, the pink lines that we draw. Be aware if there's a potential for a gap failure, if that's setting up. Chris showed a couple of those today. Be aware if there are any historical moves from the past that you may see setting up again. Looks like it's about to repeat, but it's got to be verified by the indicators. And in that historical move category would also um, include moves that are in and around earnings, either going into earnings or coming out of earnings. You want to be aware of companies that beat earnings and then forecast well for the future. Be aware of splits. We saw split stock today. In your income account, remember to uh, ignore about the first week or so, just post split, and then give it about an eight-week window to keep an eye on that stock. A lot of times you'll see it set up. Hopefully it'll drop down, do a hit the band, spread the band on the daily and or 233 and give you a setup. Be aware of stocks that issue warnings, but only the ones that are on your workspace. Don't worry about others. Be aware of Fed, the dates for Fed meetings. And then other things to be aware of, uh, worldwide catastrophic bad news. And we say, well, what do you mean worldwide? So the example I came up with, this is nothing against Honduras, its citizens, the people of, nothing to do with that at all. But a hurricane in Honduras is not going to have a negative effect on the market. And it's not because Honduras doesn't matter. It's because it's not a big economic, economic driver. And so you'll hear of hurricanes or bad weather hitting certain regions of the world. It's not going to have an effect on the market. But if that were to hit a different spot in the world, major population, I mean, not even a population center, major economic engine part of the world, that could have an impact. Be aware of Islamic terrorist anniversary dates. Not to panic, not to run around and be chicken little or, you know, go hide out in the bunker. It's not that at all. Just be aware. And then watching the red lines on Stoke going below 20 or north of 80. And then you wait on the potential for the green to catch up to it.
and you're also aware of the DMI lines, right? The red and the green lines on the bottom when they're low relative to themselves. So that's a pretty comprehensive list, I believe. Uh, but go through your fast track notes and add anything else that you feel is important that should be on this. Next up, what we've got deals with your workspace. <clears throat> um, from this point going forward, you've got the workspace that I sent out last month. You're going to use that until uh, mid-September, a year from now. So ballpark 11 months from today. At this point, you don't need to be watching the hot list. So when we get the large up or large down days, don't worry about it. Uh, you're going to start watching that and tracking it as we go from March through through August. And at that, it's at that point that you start watching the hot list or looking through um, news items, whether it's Kramer, whatever it might be, looking for new candidates. So when you get the hot list, what are, what are the biggest movers? Take a look through those, just like we were doing earlier this year. And so in addition to that, you're supposed to be paying attention starting about mid-December through about February. And that's where you're going to be able to start, uh, say, delineating, but uh, separating the stars. And you can tell the subs and the scrubs based on how they've been moving recently. But that's all we're doing for the workspace for the next few. So with profitable, with profitable positions, when the market's choppy, like you typically see during the summer, there's going to be times where an options price, <clears throat> excuse me, just won't seem to move, even though the stock is slowly moving in your direction. And it's acceptable to close those trades, even though price may not have hit a potential support or resistance area, which would signal your exit. Because the, the, the thinking on that is why take the risk? And you got to consider all reasons when you exit the trades, looking at the charts, the time of the year, your schedule, and whatever else is in the mix. And just because you expect the stock, the stock to continue to move, it doesn't mean you should stay in the position. When you're exiting a position, you got to exit intelligently where it's time for you to go. Now, you might be exiting because the trade's at its completion. And or it could be that you no longer have the time to watch it. Both of those are an intelligent exit. Happy is eh, arguably it's an intelligent place to exit as well. However, happy is an emotion and you don't want to trade with emotion. You have to remember too, your objective is to leave money on the table when you leave the trade. You're only doing it right when you leave money on the table, which is a different way of say, saying you get a chunk out of the middle. So when you exit the trade, we're not if you're trading it up, you're not trying to get out the very tip of the upper wick. <clears throat> it will happen very close to that sometimes, but that's, I don't know if that's skill or luck. I would, I would deem it as a little bit of both, but that's not necessarily the, excuse me, the end all objective. If it happens, great, but it's not what we're necessarily trying to do. <clears throat> With news, you have to be aware that bad news has a greater impact than does good news. So if significant bad news comes out on a post-split stock, for example, the negativity around that could linger around such that you may not get a setup for your income account within that <clears throat> targeted eight-week window. If the stock moves well, like those that are on the workspace, then you might consider giving it a little bit more time, maybe, I don't know, another four weeks and another month or so in order for it to digest that bad news before it sets up. 
but don't take that approach with all of your split stocks. Talked before, earlier sessions, talked about it in POWs. The historical market activity in September can best be described as grinding, typically is what you'll see. You're going to find that the freshly moving stocks on the new watch list typically end up being stars during the fall season. And so if you have an opportunity on one of your freshly added stocks, on a stock that beat earnings in the summer and forecast well for the fall winter quarter, then it almost seems like they're giving that money away. So just be aware of that when we're talking about the workspace stocks. So first thing we're going to talk about is just some kind of reminders. The first thing to talk about is support resistance areas. And understand anytime I mention support resistance or SR, you got to understand it is just potential. There's nothing that is support or resistance until after the indicators have confirmed it. And so until the indicators have verified it, it's just a potential support or resistance area but you don't let them prevent you from getting into or getting out of trades. What you do is you pay attention to the indicators and you're analyzing all the charts. When the stock approaches those potential <clears throat> areas of support or resistance, the reality on this is that you could remove everything except the indicators on a chart and you could still straight, you could still trade pretty well. <clears throat> the challenge is you wouldn't know when the price reached a potential support resistance area. It then gets verified by the indicators to know whether or not to exit. <clears throat> Many of you are just going to use the one that we provided, and that's totally fine. However, you've got to know how to update your own watch list. And when you're refreshing your watch list, you can remove stocks, but you remove stocks only once a year. You do it at the end of August, right around Labor Day. And stocks are removed because there's a reduction in their volatility but you can't remove a stock unless you add a stock because you always want to have about the same number of stocks on your watch list year to year to year. Now the number per sector may change, but you should have at least two and preferably at least three in any sector. <clears throat> now there may be sectors that drop in and out, you know, certain years sector may, there may not be much activity, so it might drop that sector in a year or two later, it may get active again and we add it back in. So as an example, I think we've got one, two, there's two or three airline pilots on the call. They may decide that they want to add an airline sector. And if you do that, if it's not in the watch list this year, no problem. But if you do that, you don't need to remove a sector. But what you want to do, if you're adding a sector, you want to have at least three stocks in that sector, which means you probably want to want to remove three stocks from your workspace elsewhere. Because otherwise, you don't want that watch list to be unmanageable because of its size. And then as we go forward in the year, by March, you should have your stocks organized by stars, subs, and scrubs. And you move the stars to the, st to the top of that sector subset. <clears throat> so next thing we're going to talk about then is your financial house. Yeah, it's been a couple of minutes talking about the primary accounts there. First thing to think about is the, the purpose of the trading account. And the purpose of it is to make a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit done according to plan. The ROI is not relevant. The amount of the dollar gain is not relevant. What is relevant is your win streak 
of properly executed trades. And so my focus or the questions that I'll ask of a fast track student is what's your brick rate? And then within that, what is your batting average for those bricks? If you hear me, you know, we, POW starts up in a couple of weeks. You all should hopefully have seen that already. If you weren't aware, go on the website, click on the products tab, and you can sign up for the upcoming POW session. I think it starts on October, it's the day after the mixer. It starts on the 8th. And you sign up there. And when you listen to me talk to the people in that audience, I'm going to talk about win rate and a rate of ROI, just because people think at that level, you're thinking in terms of the number of wins that you've got and the size of the game. As you get deeper into this, it really is just become, a, it becomes more about doing the process, executing the process correctly, making the brick and <clears throat> the batting average that you see as a result of doing the bricks. So the objective for each trade you do is simply just to trade it properly. And you do that consistently. And then you do it again and you do it again and then you do it again. A goal you might set or might be would be to set a personal record or a personal objective of how many consecutive trading account trades that you can do that follow the rules. <clears throat> so an objective for yourself is how many consecutive trades following the rules do you do? Second thing to talk about is the purpose of the income account. And the answer for that, or the purpose of that, the answer is to allow the choice for you to do something different from your nine to five job, if you choose to. The, the, in, the purpose of the income is income account is not about leaving the workforce and checking out a productive site uh, out of productive society, but rather it's to give you the, the opportunity or the freedom to pursue whatever endeavor you want without the concern for the paycheck that comes with doing that. And then with the LTH, the purpose of the LTH, it's a place to store wealth and over time to grow it slowly. So slow, to, bleh, I can't speak today, <clears throat> to slowly grow it over time. What you're really doing is you're moving money out of harm's way and the harm is actually you. So if you find that you're losing sleep over the stocks that are in your LTH, that might be a personal indicator to get to move your money into stocks that don't keep you up at night. We're not doing this to get stressed out. It's not the intent. <clears throat> but you'll notice the answer on all of these, it's all about making a brick. And then you're moving the money from one account to another. So from your trading account to your income account, and then ultimately over into the LTH. And so the per and so, and you realize, and you've heard me say, the purpose of the class is all about the long-term holding account. How are your LTHs doing? <clears throat> and again, you're establishing them by making bricks in the other two accounts or, or multiple accounts now with fast track other accounts there. And then you move that money eventually over into the LTH. And the dollars in the LTH, when they're first, when it's first moved in, it just sits there in cash, sits in the money market account, waiting for an opportune time to buy each individual or whichever individual LTH shows a signal in that four or five month period from July through October. <clears throat> Next, we're gonna talk about is the, uh, typically in the market, in the summer season in the market, you, you start getting in the habit of getting in and out of your trades relatively quickly. 
<clears throat> and you'll uh, you'll end up spending I don't know three four maybe five days in a trade during the summer. Oops. Um, and you'll find that the sometimes you get trades that'll last longer, but those tend to be the exception rather than the rule. In the fall season, you're going to expect trades to last longer, and the first trades you see setting up in the fall season, you can do those with an out-of-the-money option. And in that situation, those trades that have the potential or even an expectation to last a much longer length of time, and you'll find that they actually can last a long time. And if you get in one that ends up running for quite a while, it goes from an out-of-the-money position to an at-the-money position to an in-the-money, then almost to like an oh-my-God in-the-money position. And as that happens you're going to learn what it feels like to have this. I didn't know what better word to call it than the emotional pressure of profit. And it's generally something that's that you're only going to see during the fall season. Sometimes it's pretty rare, but you can experience the, the EPOP phenomenon as the markets move from a spring high through a summer low. But typically it's just something you're going to get to experience during the fall season. It's an EPOP, you know, emotional pressure of profits, is the cousin of fear and greed. You get a lot of profit and you're afraid to take it because you see more opportunity. And that leads to greed or the feeling of greed, which is the fear of missing out on more potential opportunity. Yet you're also afraid not to take it because you've got this fear of losing what it is that you've already gained. And so when that happens, you've got four ways that you can deal with it. And you'll find that as you uh, gain maturity in trading, you're likely going to change the method that you use. None of these are wrong, but you grow into them. And my suggestion would be to start with number one, stay with it for a little bit, and practice number two on paper while you're still doing number one with real money. <clears throat> so, you know, the first, uh, first way to deal with the pressure is basically just sell it. Close the position, be done, book the trade, pat yourself on the back, go find the next victim. When you do that, that's going to allow you to think clearly. And going to cash is always an approach that's going to free up your thinking. Um, it's weird, but it always works that way. Remember, cash is a position. And being in cash is liberating because it allows you to think more clearly. And then what you can do is you can approach any additional movement opportunities as if each one of them were a brand new trade. So that's the first approach you can take. The second approach you can do is to sell the portion of the trade that was your original investment amount. So, and if you're doing this on one contract, it's not gonna work. It, this really comes into play once you get to the point of about 10 contracts. <clears throat> but at that point, what you're doing, if you're selling your original investment amount, basically you're just letting the profits ride. ride. And at that point, in theory, so Troy, this is picking you because you like the theory stuff. In theory, you cannot have a loss of your original capital because you've taken it off the table already. And what that does is that uh, puts less pressure on you because now you're just trading with the market maker's money. However, because it is a gain, you should still think of it as your money. And so you still follow all the rules all the time. Nothing changes. So that's the second way to address it. The third way to address it is you sell the portion that is profits. So now you've booked the profits and you still have your original capital at risk. So now you've removed the pressure of profit and your risk amount is the same as if you were just entering the trade. 
and again, all it is is we're, uh, we're I won't say tricking the brain, but we're solving the, the discomfort in your mind. And then the last choice you have is that you can sell enough that you can start thinking clearly again. And there's not a definable amount that can be called the correct amount to sell off. And you'll have to learn what that number is for you. Is it half the position? Is it a third of the position? Is it three quarters of it? I don't know. And you won't know either until you try it and you experiment with it. But you want to think in such a way that you can make an intellectual decision and not an emotional decision as to what that, um, that sale amount is that relieves the pressure of the profits. All right. Next question in your trading plan or things to think about is if you have a loss, how are you going to handle it? Like, what do you mean? And you might say, well, I expect to have losses. Like, okay, that's cool. But you got to have the detailed in your plan. You know, if you don't have a clear, detailed, specific plan, you're just going to spin your wheels. In your trading plan, you want to have something in there so you don't miss a super six ever again. If you don't know what the super six is, it's the ballpark last three days of a month into the first three day trading days of the next month. That ballpark six-day period, there tends to be a lot of movement in the market. And you want to plan to participate. And if you go back and look at this over the years, you'll see typically maybe nine, ten of those 12 months in a year are up during that super six period. Well, if you want to participate in that, you better plan to be present to be able to get that money. Because there's major movement in the market during those days. You got to show up. And so I would suggest maybe in your planning, you probably don't want to take vacation over that time period. May not be the brightest idea to go on an African safari where you have no access to the internet at the end of one month into the beginning of the next because you're missing green time. So I would say trading in that time period should be part of your plan. In fact, must be part of your plan. Your plan needs to be specific and detailed. And you have to be honest with yourself at what you can accomplish, fitting it into your lifestyle, your schedule. <clears throat> you want to plan what you're going to trade, whatever technique you use, what you're best at, and making sure your life is balanced. And you want to be consistent. It just becomes part of what you do every day. It's like brushing your teeth. You do it every day. And you also have to accept and expect that you will not be able to do all the trades that other people do. And you got to be comfortable with that. Because remember, you're doing your plan, not somebody else's. And so you have to be comfortable congratulating somebody else and maybe inquire with them. But in doing it in such a way, from your mindset perspective, that you don't feel like you missed an opportunity. And then you always have to, learn, or not always have to, you always have to be thinking bigger. You got to learn to think bigger. Because what happens is most people plan too small because they're not aggressive enough. And they don't have a consistent ability because they're not following the rules. 
And also, most people have a misconception about what a lot of money is. People come into the market with bad habits. And so they need to over overcome that prior baggage that they're carrying around with them. And all of that, clearing all that up, that just gets you to the starting point. And from there, it's going to take you yeah, five years, maybe three if you're lucky, once you clear all that crap out. You also want in your plan to give thought to when you're going to start trading naked. And I don't mean that pull the, you know, pull the curtains closed and sit throw that anything on. I don't mean that. Naked trading is when you sell first. So we don't do a buy to open, we do a sell to open. And if you do plan on doing naked trading, you've got to have it, that in your thought process by practicing. And then you want to plan when you'll start doing real money trades, naked trading. And you start, at first you start very small doing your naked trades. And you build that amount as you gain confidence. I'd suggest that you start your, if you're going to trade naked, you start your real money naked trading during the fall winter season. Being aware that you're in a more profitable season. Over time, you're going to change your expectations in your plan as your abilities develop. There's a great book that talks about that as far as changing your expectations as your abilities develop. It's, the book is called Mastery by George Leonard. It's in the, um, uh, the back of the, the Bigger Pals manual, Mastery. And he talks about it from a jujitsu or an Aikido perspective. And one of his underlying messages is you have to learn to love the plateau. But as your abilities develop, your plan must also include what you'll do during different circumstances. And then you need to plan for and expect to have losses. You're not trading well if you don't have losses. This, it's got to be an expectation. And you say, well, what constitutes the loss? We well, need to have a plan for your loss. You know, for example, how low of a batting average do you have to get to before you go back to paper? You know, do, you, do you win four out of 10, five out of 10? You tell me, you got to think about that because my answer is going to be different than yours and your answer will be different than somebody else's base. It's an experience statement. Next question, ask yourself and be sure it's built in the plan is what if you have consecutive losses? How many in a row, how many losses in a row before you decide to go back to paper? Is it, I don't know, make up a number. Is it seven consecutive losses? Is it five or is it a different number? I don't know. That's for you to decide. Also, one thing to make clear, going back to paper, don't view that as being a negative. Don't view that as being, oh, I'm on probation. I'm about to get fired. Not at all. Treat this like, think like you're a professional. Think of a professional athlete. 
the last guy that I'm aware of that played all the minutes in a season was Wilt Chamberlain in 1962, basketball player, NBA. 48 minutes a game for 82 games. And you look at these guys playing today, they take days off. And here this guy played every single minute of a full NBA season. That's incredible. You don't see anybody doing that these days. So aside from Wilt, if you look at a professional athlete, look at a LeBron, look anybody you want to name, look at a soccer player, look at a hockey player, they take time off the field. They catch their breath. It could be they're not, if I use a basketball player, they may not be in the groove. And they take time off the court, a few minutes, whatever it may take, to get their mind back centered again. That's not a bad thing. Going to paper is not a bad thing. Something isn't working right. So you stop putting real money behind it, figure out what it is, and then get back in. So don't view that as a negative. It's not a penalty box. Probation's not a good word for it. So now once you're off the field on paper, you have to determine how long you remain there. Is it, do you take a day off? Do you have to do X number of winning trades, X number of winning bricks? I don't know. You want to think that through, and you got to figure that out on your own. And if you think, well, you may be saying to yourself, well, I I'm new to this. I don't know. Like, good. Pick something. And then write it down and stick to it. And if it doesn't feel right, then change it as you gain experience. If people send me else, well, what does your plan look like? If I showed you what my plan looked like at your level of experience, I didn't have a plan. I'm helping you. Me showing you what I do today is an absolute waste of time for me to send it and you to read it because you're not at that level of development. I'm telling you all the, all the components you want in there. You have to figure out how to personalize it to your situation, to your circumstances, to your availability. When you get good at trading, you might see, I don't know, 25, 30% losers. That should not be a surprise for you. But also, we don't just focus on the win rate. When I called on Tim earlier, he, he, when, I, when I started to go down the question about, um, what did I ask him? Oh, his shoe size. I think is what it was. And, you know, he knew that right away. He knew where I was going instantly. He goes, you know, so he said he didn't let me finish. I know my shoe size. I know my pant size. I know my hat size. I know my shirt size. I know my brick rate, and I know my batting average. And he knows what his weight should be when he steps on the scale. It's going to fluctuate a little bit on the weight, no problem. And it's going to fluctuate a little bit on his trade results, no problem. But he knows about where he should be. But you don't focus on the win rate. You focus on two things. You focus on the brick rate, 
and most important, or not most importantly, equally importantly, or as important, whatever condition you want to put on that, you focus on the size of your loss rather than bragging about the size of the gain. Focus on the size of the loss rather than being able to brag about how large the gains are. The reason is you don't have any control on the size of your gains. But you can control the size of the loss. And so controlling the, with controlling the loss, if it's in your plan, you'll not be bothered when it happens because you expect it. With regard to losses, you also want to plan for a catastrophic loss, a 9-11 type event, or something else where you have 100% loss on the trade. You want to think about this. What actions will you take around a catastrophic loss? As an example, you own a pharmaceutical trade. And I already told you, don't trade the stock on those. So you're in an options trade on that. And the company that you're trading makes an announcement after hours that they're pulling a drug from whatever level of trial that they're at, a level, whatever level of development, because something's not working the way they expected. And the next day, the share price tanks. How are you going to react? What are you going to do? What are your actions to take? What will you do? How will you react to stock-specific? or market-wide catastrophe? How will you react to a stock-specific or a market-wide catastrophe? And what will you do if it's market-wide? Well, let me tell you, your first step should be to protect the LTH. Because that's where the biggest bulk of your balance will be, of your net worth. Then, next is you preserve any further erosion on the income account. And then once the LTH and the income account are taken care of, then you focus on actions in the trading account. So your priority should be to preserve your wealth, that's the LTH, then you preserve your retirement, that's the income account. And I say retirement. I'm not talking 401k. I'm talking the ability to have you not have to go back to work. It's your income account. And then you look to minimize any losses in the trading account. And then the last thing is now you see how to profit in the trading account. That needs to be the thought process. Preserve the wealth, preserve the retirement, minimize the trading account loss, and now how to profit in the trading account. That's the thought process. And your plan needs to be detailed and specific to that catastrophic loss. Next thing to think about, what if you lost electricity at the house? What if your internet went down? What are you going to do? You got to think about that. Map it out. Disaster recovery, if you will. Contingency planning. Next item is plan the size 
plan your size of X and when and how much does it increase? X is your trade size in trading options. So we start off, I say trade $1,000. Okay, so if that's, if that's where you're at uh, in your development, great. But now when? When will you look to bump X and by how much? And when could be a calendar statement? Say, so, well, in one year, I'm going to bump my X to be this much more, this much percentage up. Um, that may not be the smartest thing because what if your results are not ideal one year from now you all you did was you put in your plan a date you didn't put a performance level so you want to think about including that in your plan and the reason you want to map it out in advance think about it people put your when you put your shoes on in the morning or during the day to go out and do something you put it on the same you put the same how do you say this you put the same foot on first, or the same shoe on first, whether it's the right or the left one, 100% of the time. We all do it. And you do it without thinking. You need to make your plan as seamless as putting on your shoes. You don't even think about it. It's just what you do. Then in your plan also, you want to think about how you will incorporate any outside money that shows up. Maybe you sell a home, maybe you get an inheritance, a bonus at work, whatever that might be. If you're new or newer, my suggestion would be to look to put it in the LTH account first. Keep it out of harm's way. <clears throat> You also want to plan on when will your trading account be full? What dollar amount level says this is full? When is your income account full? 20, 30 times whatever number it is, your gross monthly income? Or do you make it larger? Do you make it 50 or 75 times your gross monthly income? Whatever you want to make it be, that's fine. But you want to think about it and plan for it in advance so that that way you don't have to think about it when any outside money comes in. You know exactly where it should drop. We talked last month about your homework being to decide what stocks to go into your LTH. You want to have that finalized by the 1st of July. Now, we're also going to add some more stuff. Right now, you know of it being a four-wall house on your stock market wealth. Or if you have nothing else outside of the stock market for overall wealth. right? You've got your trading account, your income account, your retirement dollars, 401k, IRA, whatever else it might be. And then you got your LTH. We're going to add a few more here. Welcome to Fast Track. So now we're going to add some special talk now about your trading plan. Let's see, this one can go deep, it can go broad, it can go for quite a long time. And you're gonna change it regularly as you progress in your trading experience. 
So for your trading plan, a numbers projection, a financial projection, is about projecting your results on a spreadsheet. That is not a plan. A trading plan, basic things. How do you define or describe an entry? How do you define or describe an exit? Do you have an image of what your entry looks like? Do you have an image of what the exit looks like? That should be part of your trading plan. You know, how do you define a prom queen? How do you define a foundational setup? All the charts, all the time. You have to know what each chart time frame is doing. And you pay attention to all of the potential support resistance areas on all the charts. For example, if you're in a trade going up on the daily chart, and two days into the trade, you see that the 55 is at the top of its Bollinger Bands. Right, so you're at the upper band on the 55, and now it's starting to come down. You shouldn't be concerned because it's an expected pullback on the smaller chart. That's going to turn into a red candle on the daily. So what? You already can see that coming at you on the 55 because you've been paying attention to all the charts. You've got to pay attention what the indicators are showing when the candles reach a potential support resistance area. If the indicators show no signs of turning, that area will likely will not be a support or resistance area and price will just push right on through. If the indicators do show signs of turning at that potential support resistance area, it likely will become a support or resistance area. Now you may read that and be like, wait, what's he saying? I don't need to explain it. Go look at charts and you'll see it. Becomes very, very clear if you'll just spend the time reading through the notes and then go look at charts and see if you can see what we're talking about. Next topic is mindset around trading seasons. <clears throat> In fast track, the thought process is that you start the trading season on the first of the month. So that way you can prepare and be in the right mindset when it shows up. So the transitional season, you'll hear me say in POW, starts January 15th. The reality, it starts the 1st of January. The summer starts the 1st of May, and the fall winter season starts in the 1st of October. In the fall winter season, the market generally has bigger moves going up. In the transitional season, it's going to zigzag around, up and down. It's going to feel like a psycho zombie. And in the summer, the market will generally trade to the downside very quietly. With that said, though, you got to be in the mindset that the market can go up or down as you do your analysis every weekend. And you've got to be neutral in your thought process when you sit down and do your work and then look at the indicators to show you what the current evidence is telling you. Also, in the transitional season, you should expect that your time in the trade will be shorter as you go deeper through the transitional season. Your charting analysis always starts on the weekly, but you're going to find that your hold period reduces as you go through January, then February, then March, then April into May. 
typical move in the beginning of the transitional season could last maybe two weeks, up to about 10 trading days. And by the time you get to May, don't be surprised if it shrinks down to about four. So what that means is don't get captivated by the up moves and don't get surprised to see new recent highs during the first few months of the year because there's more certainly a spring low than a new recent high. And the low is usually seen by the end of March or in early April. And it'll normally be tested if not broken by the summer low. And if you're in a bull market, the high of the year is typically seen in the fall winter season. Now use that paragraph and go back and look over the last 30, 20, 30, 40 years and see if you agree with what that says. It's not going to be 100%, but see how often it's right. Paige, let's talk about the histogram. <clears throat> so the histogram is um, when you look at MACD, you'll see the red and the green lines, and then you'll see this little comb-looking thing um, in the middle of the indicator. And that's referred to as the MACD histogram. And if you look at the height of the bars, you see there's these little vertical lines that looks almost like razor stubble. And the, the height of those bars is the difference between the red and the green line at that spot. If you're an engineer, this will be the one time I will allow you without harassment to go get your micrometer and actually measure it. And you'll see, oh, it's right. It is point, you know, 0.042 inches or whatever the measurement is between the red and the green, and then you go measure the height of the bar, it's like, oh, look at that, he's right. Like, I know, that's what it is, okay? So that's by definition what the histogram is. But now, before we go talking more deeper on the histogram, let me give you some general trading points. Early in the transitional season, a move might last as much as 10 days, right? 10 days is, I wouldn't say, I would say normal, it's not a surprise. 15 days early in the transition is pretty rare. And if it lasts for a full month, that's really, really rare. But understand, if a move lasts 10 days, that's only two candles on a weekly chart. And if it lasts 15 days, that's only three candles on a weekly chart. And that's why we watch all the charts. What you're looking for are trades when you see the indicators confirming a potential support resistance area, and we look to trade that time frame or the next smaller chart. Always being aware of that gap. And so two or three candles on a chart may not be enough to change the indicators on that chart. Now we talked about 10 days at the beginning of the transitional season. As you get toward the end of that and closer to the summer season, go back and look at it time, you'll see that the duration of moves becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And as you enter into the summer season, moves are often less than five days. And you can watch for the spring low to likely be tested at some point during the summer. And so knowing those few things, along with doing the prediction homework described a little bit earlier, you will actually see trades coming to you. You get to be literally a predator watching your victim walk up to you 
You want to envision yourself as the animal. You see the little weak thing that you're just going to go out there and grab and eat. You want to think of yourself as a thief? Whatever, here comes the little old lady, oblivious, pocketbook hanging out of her, uh, or, you know, money sticking, hanging out of her purse, not paying attention, walking right up to you. Whatever visual you want to give yourself, that's fine. But you'll be able to see the prey coming toward you. You can stalk it, S-T-A-L-K, because you'll see them coming to you. What I mean by that is if you see the indicators on the weekly chart have just crossed going down, then you know that the best direction for weeks is going to be a down trade. But then if you see a 233 trade, uh, 233 set up to the upside, remember the weekly is pointing down. We expect it to go down for weeks. 233 now points up. You can trade it up if you want, but remember we're going against the trend, thinking about in Powell's terms. If you do trade it up, your expectation would be that it's going to be small and fast because the direction of the weekly chart is down. It's going to be weeks before that weekly chart turns and heads back north. Another way to do it is to watch that 233, ignore the uptrade. Let it run to what it's going to run to and see if it gives you then an entry heading back down on either the 233 or the 55. You get to see it coming to you in advance just by putting all the time frames together. Tim said it earlier, it becomes disgustingly easy. You have to develop, you have to develop the, the understanding of the charts by doing the prediction work. And then once you see that, then it's just a matter of being patient and waiting for that to waiting for that setup to show up. So now going back to the histogram, the histogram is not an indicator. All it does is it measures the distance between the red and the green lines on MACD. Some people get way too enamored with the histogram, not too smart. All it is, it's nothing more. It's like a road sign, roadside, road sign. As you're traveling down a freeway, down a highway. And it tells you that a possible turn is coming. But you don't turn there because the turn isn't there yet. Road sign gives you, you know, hey, the off ramp's coming up in a half mile. The road sign means you got to continue down the road in that direction before the turn becomes available. And that's what the histogram indicates, that there is a possible turn coming down the road. And you pay attention to the indicators. What are the indicators showing you? That's always your question. And that's all it does. MACD is wide, or sorry, MACD is wider, or it's not as wide. It doesn't say that MACD is going to cross. You got to continue down the road before turning to see if that turn even shows up. When you start to see the histogram get smaller, you got to look at the indicators. And keep in mind, it's just the potential for a turn. It does not guarantee that there's going to be one. 
of as as a fast track student, you don't think of up, down, or sideways to the market. Really, what you're doing is you're you're paying attention to what the indicators show you, and you do that across all the charts, all the time frames. And when I say what the indicators show you, excuse me, <clears throat> specifically, what are they showing you when the candles reach a support or resistance level or an area? And remember, these support or resistance lines are only potential support or resistance. This whole process is driven by the indicators. And the first question we always ask is, what are the indicators telling you? What are they showing? It does not matter what you think. What matters is what are the indicators showing you? The indicators are the current evidence. And we're gonna have history that we can work with, but we wanna trade the current evidence. And you'll find that either it, it matches our history, and if we do, we trade boldly, or if it doesn't match the history, you trade cautiously. All you're doing is you back up the charts and you look at history. And you find situations where the indicators are showing no signs of turning when the candles approach a support or resistance area. And when you find that, make note what often happens. And you look at enough of these and you'll gain a level of comfort with, uh, with how price will behave around these support or resistance areas based on what the indicators are showing as they approach it. It becomes blatantly obvious. You just got to look at it. And don't just look at one or two. Go look at 40, 50, 60, 100 of them. And you'll start to see it. And you'll gain, you'll gain great comfort. What you'll see, if you want to take my word for it, but don't take my word for it. Go look it up yourself. It's your money that you're trading. If the indicators show no sign of turning, and when the candles are approaching that support resistance area, it's going to blow right through it. It may pause but the continuation is going to blow right on through. Just back up the charts, look at the history, and then find the situations where the, the indicators are starting to come together or starting to turn as the candles support, as the candles approach support or resistance. And again, make note of what often happens. Go find 100 of them. And you'll find if the indicators start to come together or starting to turn, then that potential support resistance area is likely going to be a support or resistance area. And just remember, those, those lines of support and resistance are only potential. You got to know what each time frame is doing at all times. That's APCAT, all the charts, all the time. And with that, you know what the potential support resistance is for each time frame. You always, always, always use an APCAT thinking. It's all the charts, all the time thought process. There's never a time that doesn't apply. And you've got to know what each chart time frame is doing at all times. And you've got to know what the support resistance areas are on each time frame. It's really important. And what happens is when you do that, it keeps you from being surprised by a short chart movement, by a small chart movement. And it keeps you from getting crushed by a move on the big charts. That's why we use multiple monitors. Can't do this on a single screen. You gotta see all the charts all the time. From a bullish perspective, we buy options near the beginning of a move. And then you sell before you reach the top. 
And so with that, we're selling options on the rise rather than on the decline. You gotta understand that. The reason for that is, and you'll get a little experience, you'll see this. Imagine you buy, you got a stock, stock's at 25. Gives you an entry, so you buy a call option. Stock rises up to 30. It's $5, it's 20% move on the stock. The price of the calls, when the stock is on the way up, and it gets to 29.50, so price is going, you know, the stock price going up, 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 up. Stock price gets to $29.50. The value of the call at that point will be greater than when the stock continues going up to 30 and then comes back down to $29.50 on the other side. The value of the calls will be greater when it hits $29.50 on the rise rather than $29.50 on the fall. Track these on a few of them, you'll see what I'm talking about. Also, the calls will not be dramatically more valuable when the price is at 30 as opposed to when price was at 29.50. Don't get caught up chasing the cookie crumbs. You gotta get every little drop out of the lemon. No. And remember, you run the risk that option price will be dramatically lower when it's on the decline back down to $29.50. You gotta control the greed thing, right? You're not gonna get rich on any trade. It's about making a brick, throw it on the pile, getting on with it. The disciplined approach is just to close the trade and move on. That last little bit of a move is almost never priced in to the option. And so because of that, it's vitally important to buy on the rise and sell on the rise, not on the decline. You sell on the rise. You're gonna like your results a lot more when you develop that discipline. I think it was when, and then you get to do potentially something that's kind of fun. Some of you ask about this throughout the year. You say, hey, can I or how can I take a trade from a smaller chart to a larger chart and continue with that trade? And to, I call that migrating. And what it does is it gets you in trades. You're not getting in at the tip of the wick, but you're getting in lower on the bigger charts because you're starting in on the smaller charts. Now you gotta understand, this is not about all trades. All trades cannot be migrated. It's only a very, very small percentage of trades that can. And there's a lot more trades that cannot be migrated. So don't try to do it on every trade. The migrating process starts on the weekly chart. And it starts when price is at a potential support or resistance area that's being confirmed by the indicators. So you gotta keep an eye on, on all the indicators as well as the histogram. And the weekly, when the weekly is ready to turn, but it hasn't yet, you go down to the daily and you see if there's a trade there. And if there's not a trade on the daily, but it's close to turning, it hasn't turned yet, then you go to the 233. You see if the trade's there. <clears throat> if the trade's not ready on the 233, but it's close, just not ready yet, you can drop down to the 55 to see if the trade's there. 
If the trade is not on the 55, wait for it. Doesn't mean quit your job and just stay glued to the 55, but you'd expect to trade on the daily chart, but you expect it to be beginning on the 55 minute. And you do the first trade available from a band to band thought process. So hypothetically, you got weekly at the bottom band about to go up. Daily's not going up yet, but it's ready. 233 not going up yet, but it's ready. You go to the 55. You look to do the first up trade that shows up. You take that 55 trade up. Now, when that 55 trade hits the top band, you check all the indicators on the next bigger time frame, the 233. And if you see a trade there now on that next bigger time frame, you move that trade to it. So now you're you move your thinking to the 233. You don't close the trade and get back in, but now your trade chart becomes the 233. And you watch this trade go. And when it looks like it's reached the top, either at a resistance area or the top band. Then you go look at the next bigger time frame. In this case, it'd be the daily. And you see if the trade can be migrated to the daily. In other words, has the daily set up and it's moving. If it is cool, now you migrate the trade to the daily. And now you're on a daily chart. That's your trade chart. And you exit that when it makes sense. You do not migrate past the weekly. Do not, do not, do not migrate. I'm sorry, do not migrate past the daily. Don't go to the weekly. Once the daily chart says it's done, trade's over. Cool, next. Think about what we did. Think back to that 55 minute chart. We got in at the bottom, right? Not at the bottom of 55, when the 55 signal. Hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, 3X. Boom, you're in. Took it to the upper band. We then looked at the next bigger chart. And if it isn't there, if that 233 is not signaling, close the trade. But you don't leave it. Close it and you keep watching the 55. Because you expect that it's going to pull back and maybe give you another entry point. Then you get back in to go back up in this example. But you got to understand the weekly, daily, and 233 are ready to go up. And if the weekly, daily, 2355 are at potential support with the indicators poised to turn, understand that's lamination across multiple time frames. That means don't buy puts there. You might get multiple 55 entries before you're ready to move it to the 233. <clears throat> The best analogy I can come up with this on giving birth, it's like labor pains, right? Just because it hurts doesn't mean you're going to immediately give birth. When do you consider doing this trade? There's two times of year, which is why I talk about it now. One is possibly at the spring highs as we move into the summer low and go, dude, we just had a big down day. I get it. Spring high, chillax, you might see a rise. Don't, don't take that as encouragement to go buy tomorrow. I'm not saying that. 
we tend to see, we tend to see a high in the spring. Go back and look and you'll see it. Get a spring high, then as it moves into the summer lows, that's where you might look to migrate puts. And then as you get into the lows of the summer, as you then approach the fall winter season, that's where you might see opportunities to migrate calls. But you have to understand, some of you get twisted up and go, well, let me go down to the one minute chart and we'll jump in early. No, the thought process begins on the weekly. If the weekly isn't ready, you can't migrate the trade. You can only migrate the trade if the weekly's poised. You gotta have that weekly being properly positioned. There's gonna be times when you look at the indicators are going down and not at any kind of support area. And there'll be trades up and down, two, three, three, 55 minute charts. You buy regular options like you do, just like we talk about in class. Buy enough time, buy options out of the money or in the money, depending on the time of the year. And there's times in the year when you buy in the money and others when you buy out of the money. That doesn't change by, being, by this being a migration trade. The direction of the trade is dictated by the weekly being ready. And just so you understand, do not do this if you do not understand the subtleties of all the charts. You've got to understand that. And your plan in the transition season, just so you know, you're going to see more and more 55-minute trades available. To say that differently, they were there just as much before. You're going to see fewer and fewer daily and 233 trades. So on a relative scale, you're going to see more of the smaller charts, the 55s, than you did before because you're looking for daily 233. Doesn't mean you're doing them, but you're going to see that there's more available. The mindset we have, we're taking them band to band, going up or down on the proper time frame, and you're aware of all the charts. That doesn't mean, don't mishear me, that doesn't mean you buy at the lower band, sell at the upper. It's still proper entry, intelligent exit. But a lot of times you'll see the stock move band to band. So don't get greedy, don't lose your intellect, don't get stupid about it. If you run into, if the price hits a potential support resistance area, that's being confirmed by the indicators, you don't stay in the trade. You think for a minute, you know, the indicators are telling you it's not gonna to go to the other band. Band to band some mentality. Hot cat, all the charts, that's the requirement. There's never a time when you're not analyzing all the charts. Always, always, always be aware of all the charts. Never a time that you're not. In the transitional season, the trading range gets narrower and it might get uncomfortable. You might see trades lasting a max maybe of about a week. Now, by May, you're gonna see it shrink. Could be four days, could be three days. Be aware of the expected trade duration, no matter what trading season we're in. The trade's likely to go band to band, but be wary of the trap of expecting it to go a couple candles beyond that. You gotta learn to trade with the time of year or you're gonna be behind in the market. And once you get behind, it is not easy to catch up. 
very difficult to do so. I would much rather see you get in properly and get out early as opposed to being in properly and getting out late. Heard me say from the beginning, the transitional season, it's not a comfortable place to trade. It's like a psycho zombie. The summer typically is more comfortable because it seems in the summer, it's almost like it's in a rhythmic range. And you get used to the approach of, you know, get in today, get out tomorrow, or, you know, get in today, get out today, which means you're on a smaller time frame. And then as you move into the fall winter season, it's like the light switch gets flipped on. What'll happen is you're gonna expect a trade to end pretty quick, just like it's been doing all summer long, and you get out and then the trade keeps going without you. Be aware that's gonna happen. Now notice what I'm doing. I'm talking about stuff, we're in March, and I'm talking about stuff you're gonna see in October. I'm thinking ahead. I don't think about it come October. I know that it's coming. You got to expect that difference and be aware of it. As you get into the fall season, then you get back into comfort mode with longer, boring trades. And the fall winter season almost gets you in this complacency state. You get lulled into it. Not all of a sudden, boom, transitional season shows up. There's that psycho zombie again, and now it's not as comfortable. You got to be ready to adjust during the seasons, too, about how much time you buy. Once you can afford it, you buy five months of time. But what changes is the strike. When you're buying calls in the fall winter season, buy one, two strikes out of the money. 40-ish delta. Say, wait a minute, you said in POWs to buy a 70 delta. I did. And if you want to stick with 70, no problem. Track them. You'll see greater returns. Early in the transitional season, probably buy at the money, about a 50 delta. As you get deeper in the psycho zombie season, you're going to buy an in the money strike, 70-ish. In the summer, in the money strike, 70-ish. But again, if you want to buy 70 all the time, no problem. You'll be okay with that. But as you learn to recognize the charts, learn to understand how options move, and then overlay that with what historically goes on at various times of the year, you can capitalize that around with your understanding of how options move. <clears throat> at the money option, by the way, that is the strike that is closest to the stock price. When you expect a small move in stock price, you always buy in the money options. If you expect a larger move, you can buy out of the money. And if you say, how do you know whether to expect that? Then you haven't done this enough yet. Keep doing the, the prediction homework. It will become more clear to you with time. What happens is if you buy out of the money options at the wrong time, it's incredibly frustrating to be correct on the direction of price movement, but you lose money on your option because it's not moving as fast as it should in order to make up for the loss of volatility. And that all this all has to do with a change in strike price. 
not a change in time. You do as instructed, you like your results. It's important for you to understand during the spring. This doesn't apply every year, but go back and look, you'll see it over and over. There's often a high in the spring that's followed by a lull in the market. And that lull does not always mean a price decline. Most of the time it does, but it doesn't have to. Price can go sideways with the indicators declining. <clears throat> but there's never a spring lull without the indicators making a decline. And you'll see it on either the daily or the weekly charts. It's always combined with the indicators declining. And the trading range will typically narrow during this time. Volatility gets pulled out. And you can see this if you just look at the Bollinger Bands. If they're squeezing together, volatility is coming out of that move. When Chris goes through charts today, pay attention to that at the various times of the year, and you'll see that. And then at the end of the summer, historically, there can be an explosion or an increase in volatility. and The bands will spread apart. And then the candles will walk up the upper band. Don't be surprised when you see it. And what you do then is you pay attention to the indicators and specifically, not specifically, especially MACD because that's the continuation indicator. So what do we got? Um, March is the middle of the transitional trading system season. Runs from January through about May. We're right in the, right in the depths of it. There's a, only a couple of catalysts that drive the market in early March historically. We've got something going on now, but that's kind of a kind of a unicorn. Earnings season is basically over. <clears throat> and so now we're in warning season. Understand that warning season is rear end loaded, meaning that if there are going to be warnings coming out, they tend to come out towards the latter part of the quarter. So that's going to show up here. If it's going to show up, it'll show up here in the next few weeks as we get towards the tail end of March. <clears throat> There's a tendency to see a March lull, if you will. And a March lull does not necessarily mean that it's a massive decline. Could be a weak decline, and it isn't the size of decline that we're trying to anticipate, but rather it's more just a break in the market's direction. Excuse me, and with break, I mean that could be a change in market direction, or it could be like the market's taking a breather. If you go back and study the charts, you'll see what I mean over the last well, maybe the last 20, 25 years, go back to 2000 at least, you'll see that March can be the end of a bull market back in the year 2000. It can be the end of a bear market in 2003 and in 2009. <clears throat> and interestingly enough, April seemed to be the start of the 08 decline. So just at the tail end of March. At this point, as you're going through your watch list, to be looking for your trades, you should only be now utilizing your stars and subs, and along with any split stocks that may show up if they're in that nine-week window of the uh, of trading opportunity. But the charts have got to provide an entry. It's always a brick, proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. You'll find when you study these, they tend to work best when there's a catalyst, super six or whatever it might be. Now, what we're looking for for doing a split entry you got to be comfortable that the weekly chart is rising or at a minimum is done going down. <clears throat> and you look in tandem at the daily and the 233 to get a single picture for that potential income account trade. It's highly preferable 
to have the body of the candle, whether it's the 233 or the daily or both, you want to have it touching the bottom band. Most of the time, it's going to be touching the bottom band on the daily. Sometimes it's acceptable to only have it on the 233 with the body on the lower band. But if it's only the 233 on the band, you've got to have the daily coming off of potential support area with the indicators confirming. Now, before you start firing questions at me, read, when you go back and do your studying later on tonight and tomorrow, read this and go find a couple examples. You'll see what I'm talking about. The candle that touches the lower band must either be the one that forms with the 3X or the prior. Most of the time, the entry is going to show up on the 233. Now, when that entry shows up on the 233, expect to see the daily coming off of a support area or potential support area. Indicators are confirming. Now, this way, with experience, you can also get in a trade on a sloppy 3X. But the cleaner the, the triple cross, the better. But remember, you cannot determine that it's a 3X until the candle has closed or is very, very close to closing. Now, understand something. What I just told you is an entry criteria for an income account trade. If you're listening, that's an entry criteria for any trade. It doesn't have to be income account. I just gave you the keys to the kingdom on what you're listening for, what you're looking for. We'll see how many of you are, are listening and thinking back on what was just said versus what I just told you. Next thing we're going to talk about is managing your workspace. You don't want to have, you read the text real quick. You don't want to have dramatically more than about 120 or so stocks in your workspace and then add splits on top of that. Having more stocks in the workspace will not make you a better trader. Typically, you're going to start, if you're brand new, you're going to start with the range of 60, 70. I think in the POWs workspace this year, I think I gave people 75 or 80. I can't remember, but somewhere in that range. <clears throat> with your experience that you gain in Fast Track and learning how to analyze the charts more effectively and then more efficiently, you ought to be able to be able to get through your homework in a reasonable period of time if you've got about 120 names on there. And this workspace is one that we're going to use for uh, a full year, basically Labor Day through Labor Day. <clears throat> what you want to think of with the workspace, and to use basketball as the, the best analogy that I've come up with, in September, when it's time for, uh, we'll use college as, a team, uh, college as the example, or college or even high school, when it's time, let me think back. No, use college as the example. In September, it's time for basketball, and they're doing the preseason games. The college teams are playing games that don't really matter. It's a chance to test out the players. And they are playing teams that they expect to win, and they're playing all the players. You say, wait a minute, how can both teams play a team that they expect to win? <clears throat> the top teams take, the, take, on weaker, take on weaker challenges, and the really weak schools are willing to be victimized, if you will, by the top teams because it could be a, a revenue draw to have them playing at their place. What the schools are doing, they're trying to find out who the starters should be, which ones are the best players. And they want to find out who the substitutes are, so who's the tier two, 
and then who should be on the bench. And now by the time they start playing the regular season games, November, December, the team, the coach knows who the starters are. He knows who the best subs are, and he knows which ones are most likely to stay on the bench. And this then prepares them to play. <clears throat> and they play from December through latter part of February into March. And I think it's this weekend where they start making the announcements for March Madness, which is the college basketball playoffs. And now the playoff, playoff, the college basketball playoff race starts now. And that's then when the coaches play the starters and the subs. And the scrubs will only play when the starters and subs are injured and can't play. So we're going to apply the same timing. By September, you're going to have a new, freshly updated workspace. And that's what you're going to use until the following September. By March, you're going to know who your starters are, who your star players are. <clears throat> and you're going to have stocks that you don't trade necessarily, but you still watch them to see how they perform. The subs are there to play in case of injury, referring to the basketball team. And they expect to play, but they know they're not going to play that much. The bench players have little to no expectation that they're going to play. Because when the game starts, it's the starters. They put the best of each position on the court. By the time you get to the teeth of the summer, right, the dog days of summer, August, July, August, you need to know who your starters are. Who's the best star stock in, or stocks in each category? Which one performs the best? <clears throat> so when we start off in September, we got a whole lot of stocks that we consider. And over the months, we learn which ones are the best ones to use. Now, if you look at a college basketball team, they have seniors that they know will not be playing next year or you know, six, eight months from today. And the coaches already know that. They're doing their scouting. They're out recruiting. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to start looking for candidates in March. So we're going to start scouting in March. And now we come up with our list of candidates that we're going to identify between March and latter part of August. <clears throat> and then Chris and I sit down over a couple of weeks in early September and we scrub out the subs that are the scrub, sorry, we get rid of the scrubs that were that really were just vibrating or weren't moving too much on the watch list. And I replace those and I look to replace those names with names that we've identified over the past March through August of names that are moving. And so we're going to replace our scrubs with freshly moving stocks. And here's how you're going to find them. So you're going to do this research from March through September on an all red day or an all green day. You're going to go to the fire symbol on Q charts. Look at the point losers on a red day, point gainers on a green day. And you want to use the point gainers as opposed to percentage <clears throat> because of the way that Q charts has it set up. And Chris, as I'm saying this, is that did the hot list get working again? Have you looked at it recently? I think he stepped away. Get him when he comes back. Someone sent me a note earlier today. You can also use FinViz. 
and there's a screener. You go to FinViz, look for screener, find that, then click on technical, and you'll see some, and click on technical, you'll see some drop downs. And you can see then those that have the largest moves, take the top five or 10 names, jot them down, and now go look through the news and see if any one of those had news items that were causing that dramatic move that day. If they were, don't include it on your list of candidates for that day. It may show up at a later date, but on that day, we're not worried about it. And now I've, I've collected my list of five to 10 names from that particular day. So for example, Friday might be a day that you would do that. Put it on a list, I'm gonna go research it later. <clears throat> I'm gonna keep adding candidates <coughs> excuse me, to that list as we go through from March through August. See what I've got in the notes here. 15 moves. We're good. Cool. So as I said, you go check the news. Be sure that it's not a news-driven event that caused the movement. If there's no easy, if there's no easily identified news item, cool. Then keep that name on a list. All that is, it's a it's a possible candidate, or it is a candidate for possible replacement in September. Then what we're going to do is we get into September. We're going to look to be replacing the scrubs and possibly some of the subs. I'm not looking to replace any of the stars. And I only add a name if I replace a name. So if I, if I end up with three oil names that just went dead, I'm going to look potentially to replace it with three oil names that look to now be more moving, that are more volatile. Routine stocks that are moving without news tell you that they're moving with the market. Those are the ones I'm interested. I'm not interested if somebody, if a company had some surprise news event and it caused a bunch of buying or selling activity. I have to make the assumption that that activity was due to the news event. I'm looking for a company that when the market moves, this stock is one of the leading moving stocks within that whether it's to the upside or the downside. And you're gonna do this every year going forward. You gotta scrub the watch list every year. So our, the techniques I use don't change. I'm just using it on a different set of candidates every year. <clears throat> what you wanna be careful on is over the next couple of months, and it happens every year, there's gonna be a name or two or 12 that show up regularly and you'll look and you go, my God, those are moving all over the place. I want to trade those. Don't be tempted to add that to your list because otherwise if you do that, there's going to be names that didn't show up in August that then start moving in November, December. And you got to make a decision where you're going to draw the line on adding more names. Because remember having a larger watch list doesn't make you a better trader. And so the way to stay true to it it's just whatever the watch list is that you come up with in September, stay with it till the following September. What I do here in Fast Track, I send you the, when we get the watch list done in September, I automatically send it to everybody. And you'll get that every year you're in Fast Track, you'll get it automatically. If you decide to no longer take Fast Track, I'm totally fine sharing the watch list with you. My request is don't ask for it prior to September 15. 
because my objective is to get it done by the second weekend in September every year. And so if I, I know that the latest that could be would be September 15. <clears throat> if you ask me on that date or later, I'm happy to do a cut and paste and send the list to you. I don't have any problem doing that. But don't ask sooner because I don't need a whole bunch. I, I get enough email as it is. I don't want to have to go back and keep a list of who I need to send the watch list to. So again, if you're as you continue in Fast Track, you'll get the list, no problem. At some point, if you decide to stop taking Fast Track, just send me a note. I'm happy to send it to you. But I would encourage you to do this. Don't rely on the list that I create. Go create your own list. And then when I send you the list, match your list to the one that we came up with. I don't expect them to be 100% the same by any stretch. <clears throat> but I would expect the names that I have on mine would be names that you identified, but for whatever reason didn't choose. And if you chose a different one, it's no problem. It's your watch list. But if it ends up that the names that I found match nothing close to what you did, either you've got an incredible source and I want to hear about it, and I've never found that to be the case yet, but you know it can always happen, or you ought to get your ass back in fast track because you're missing something. And what's going to happen is you're going to be trading the dead. You're not going to like the results. Okay, so your homework going forward now is whenever we have a large Green, a large up day, a large down day. An easy way to measure that is when the, the bulk of your stocks on the watch list are the same color. So they're all of them, proverbially, all of them are moving up or all of them are moving down. That's when you go do those steps with FinViz or on the hot list on QCharts or any other screen or tool that you want to use. I'm just looking for those that, usually it's the top five or 10 names that you'll see on the list. And that's usually enough. Any questions on this before the next topic? <clears throat> so, when you first sat through the POWs material, I talked about trend, decision, and action. Right, you got a trend chart, <clears throat> you're looking to make a decision on a trade chart, and then you decide how you're gonna take action or when you're gonna take action. Whether you're using, go down to the precision chart, or just jump in either at the very close of the 3X candle or near the open of the following candle. And it's easy to spot when all the indicators are crossing, but it takes a while to be able to recognize the trade. And the reason for that is there's subtleties that are buried within the chart and buried within all the charts. And it takes, it takes experience to be able to recognize those. If you don't have your mind around the concept of trend decision action, this next part's going to sound really easy, but you got to understand the relationships between the charts. <clears throat> so in January, to quote what I put in the manual, you focus all your trading when the weekly, daily, or 233 is at a potential support resistance area where the indicators appear to be confirming that particular potential support resistance area. And wherever there's potential indicator support, the trade chart will be the next lower chart. And you're going like, wait, what did he just say? You focus your trading when the weekly, daily, or 233 are at a potential support resistance. And the indicators appear to be confirming. This is written in the January notes. <clears throat> when you see that potential indicator support, 
you drop down one trade chart, drop down a time frame, that's where your trade's gonna show up. So if you see indicator support on the daily, you trade the 233. <clears throat> Another way to think about it, look at it backwards. When you see an entry, a 3X on whatever time frame, look at the next two bigger charts. And what you do is you count the pieces of evidence to do the trade. And you want lots of reasons. What I tried to do was to make this a science out of what is really an art. <clears throat> and there's some re when you're looking for those reasons, there's some reasons that are stronger than others. You want a minimum of three strong reasons. But the more you have, the more confident you get. Remember, three is the minimum. And if you only look for minimum of three reasons, you're gonna get minimum results. So remember, there's an art to this. What I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to figure out a way to try and make it as scientific as possible as you're learning, but it's still an art. And that means it's gonna take time to gain the experience to achieve the art. And so your reasons for entry and exit are listed right here. <clears throat> so you could have, price at the top band the top band could be expanding it could be at the bottom band the bottom band could be expanding you've got the 200 the 50 and the mid band or the 21 also add in the 89 i forgot to include that in there so right in by hand the 89 moving average another reason you've got the the two and the three crossing you've got stoke crossing <clears throat> and then as a weak reason you've got stoke above or below 20 and 80. You got MACD crossing. You got DMI crossing. You got DMI at a relative low. We've talked about that. <clears throat> We've got it kicking up from a relative low. We've talked about that. <clears throat> and we can see uh, ADX being relatively high. Then I've got divergence, bullish and bearish on Stoke and MACD. I've got histogram reversing, which basically is a cross. <clears throat> I've got the histogram going flat, right? You look at that and you'll see what that means when you look at the charts. I've got tweezers, both top and bottom. I've got engulfing, both bearish and bullish. Dark cloud cover, I referenced it quickly. If you don't know what it is, go look it up. You can find examples of it. We talked about dojis. There's a variety of dojis. We talked about a hammer. Talk briefly about a hanging man inverted hammer. If you're not familiar, go look them up. You can get them explained really quick. There's a piercing pattern, which is uh, related or similar to engulfing. Go look at that, you'll see it. And then I've got laminate, right? The top band or the bottom band, laminated with either the 200 or the 50 or the 89. Add that in as well there too, please. Okay, those are all reasons for entry and exit. Got them all listed right there. Just add in the 89 on the laminate spot and add in the 89 on the moving averages. <clears throat> so here's your rules, entry and exit. You gotta have a three X on the trade chart, triple cross. And you gotta have at least three strong reasons on the next two bigger charts that support your trade. Having more than three is much better. Exit reasons have got to be present on the day you make the decision. In other words, they're not additive. I can't go back. And exit reasons are on the trade chart and the next two bigger time frames. 
and the combined total is what you count towards the required number of reasons. Now here's where this gets fun. If a trade isn't working, you cannot exit until you got at least four exit reasons. I don't care if they're strong or weak. If a trade's profitable, you can't get out until you got five exit reasons that are present. You're like, wait, what the hell? Go back and look at a trade. Hey, Chris, are you still there? Do you take off? Might have stepped away. Go back and look at a couple trades you've done. And rather than having Chris hold your hand stepping through it, I'm not going to hold your hand stepping through it, bringing up my charts. Look through those. Look for a spot where you got an entry. And then look and see if you can find three reasons that support the entry. If you just think about it, we say hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, there's your three. And now you're looking for additional reasons. And now when you go to exit the trade, we say we're gonna take it up to the upper band. Well, we said stoke north of, north of 80. If you're doing a bullish trade, there's one. Tap the upper band, that's two. Maybe the band is spreading, there's three. Now what's it doing in the next bigger time frames? Might be doing a couple of those also. There's your five reasons. You look at it and go, oh, that makes it simple. Now, when I look at a trade, I promise you, I don't go through and count reasons. I just know it intuitively. I know it instinctively. I know what I'm looking for. But when you're starting out, if you're trying to get your head around the art, I put this together for you to help you to try and make it a bit more scientific. But don't change, I wouldn't necessarily change your trade log where you're counting reasons. But if you do it for a few weeks, you'll find that they just start to jump out at you. And before you know it, you're, you're looking at that. And you'll hear me as we go through charts in the future, I'll say, hey, just count the reasons, count the reasons. And it becomes pretty clear on whether or not you should or shouldn't exit or enter. Because it lines up for you right there. But the idea behind put, the idea of putting this there for you is to help what is art make it a little bit more scientific for you, for the engineers in the group that want the micrometer or the checklist.